Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. And I think we have a banger on our hands, man. We are talking about Limited this week. Probably mostly draft, but also a little bit of sealed. There are some MTG Arena PTQs coming up. Basically, like there's a qualifier play-in this week that you can use play-in points for. And uh, also gems and gold if you have those available or you feel like swiping. And then there's the actual PTQ the next weekend. And all the stuff is limited, and I've been actually playing a lot, so I thought it was time. It is time, and I may not have any playing points, but I do have gems and gold, and therefore I'll be able to play these arena PTQs, and I'm relying on you, Gerald. I've been very busy with some other things, so it's time for you to get me, as well as all of our listeners, up to speed on this limited format, and I, I love to see you engaged out there in the streets of New Capenna, grinding, <laughs> hitting Mythic, thus proving you are very good at magic. Until this point, I wasn't sure. I was like, yeah, yeah maybe this guy's all bluster, all hype. Now that you're a Mythic limited player, I am 100% on board, and I am I am willing to get your advice for this format. So I don't regret posting it, but it's it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't consider this a brag, and I hope that no one else considers it a brag. To me, it's just like, I have played this format a lot. Here is yes, part. yes. That is that is the signifier. That is always what I will take away when uh, you know someone who is good at magic hits mythic. It's not that they're saying, "Oh, I am mythic." I mean, I think that breaks down a little bit when you're in like you know single digits. Then yes, there's an actual yes. I have won a bunch. I have grinded a bunch. Uh, brag being put forth and deservedly so. When it's just like, here is my ascent to mythic, it is, I'm actually putting in the reps this time. Either I really enjoy this format or I have a goal in it and I'm looking forward to sharing with it. And you're, so that, that was my takeaway. Yeah. And you're you're winning more than you're losing, but yeah. it could still be 51% over 10,000 games or something, right? So you don't necessarily need an obscene win rate, but I was putting in the reps and was hanging out with Josh Cho a lot on Discord, watching him draft and... We're both just like learning about the format. He hit Mythic way before I did because he was playing a decent amount more. And as someone who has played a little bit after hitting Mythic and like also watching, you know, Cho get up to like number six, I think at one point. And now he's he's in like the bottom 900s or whatever. It's like maintaining the top spot is very difficult. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, your win rate has to be preposterous when you're up. Anything like sub 100, you're you're winning a lot. And doing it consistently, and it's an achievement for sure. I I think like it's unfortunate that it is almost a little easy to go to Mythic because it sort of cheapens the accomplishment a lot of the time. Sort of, but people don't know that, and I think that's good. Yeah, yeah. Like it feels like an accomplishment for a lot of people, and I think that that is awesome. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's fair, and that's probably who you should be catering to. I guess I just wish there was like a super Mythic, right? Like, you know, to me coming from like a League of Legends, I think like the quote unquote, like casual competitive player, your goal is like masters, right? If you make it to that masters breakdown, then you're like, I did it. This is the thing I'm supposed to be doing as a casual competitive player. I'm really proud of myself. This is an amazing achievement. But there's tiers beyond that. There's Grandmaster and then there's Challenger when it comes to both Teamfight Tactics and League of Legends. Yeah, I I, I guess I wish there was like a Grandmaster and Challenger level to the Mythic Ladder. I think it would feel more like that if we weren't in Mythic getting paired against people in Platinum. Sure. Because it does not seem like there are a ton of people playing. Yeah, maybe that's true. I don't so, know. 
I don't know what the vibe is right now. It's hard for me to get my pulse on how people feel. I mean, like the same people who always play limited are obviously tweeting about their limited experience and yeah, but it's like, it's like what they love 20 to 50 people or something. Right. And know? so what does it mean for the rest of the community? Are there a bunch of other people we don't see engaged? And I've actually heard some anecdotal stuff from, uh, you know, friends of mine who are lapsed, who are like now playing a bunch of limited on arena, which is cool. It's cool to see people getting brought back into the fold like that. Uh, but as far as like total player numbers, how well this set has been received, I have absolutely no idea. Okay. Uh, I mean, that was kind of where I wanted to start, actually, because we played Pittsburgh together, Team Sealed, and that was more or less our pre-release. Yep. And I think that we did a little bit more studying than we normally would have done. We were more familiar with the text on the random commons and uncommons that were not meant for constructed. But as far as like what the format looked like, what the decks were supposed to look like, how the games played out, et cetera. We were kind of going in blind and I think we did okay. But certainly after the fact, I'm like, Ooh, that was, that was pretty bad. Like, you know, we should have built the deck this way. We should have included this card, not included that card, et cetera, et cetera. What's the card that show is constantly overcorrecting for now that we discovered and didn't put in his deck. We didn't put a torch breath in his deck. Ah, uh, there was something else, uh, an equipment. Gilded Pinions? Yeah, that, yeah, that's the one that should have been in his deck, and you okay. said he's just like a fan of that card now. Yeah, he wants to put Pinions in every deck, and right. I th- I think that I am lower on it than I should be, but he's drafting green a lot more than I am. Okay, yeah. And Pinions is generally better in green decks because then you have like these big beefy things to block their flyers or attack over or whatever. Right. Uh, So I think I play it less than I should, and he probably plays it more than he should. And it's just like every deck he sends me, not every deck, but, you know, like way more than than my decks has opinions in it. And then there was one that had like two opinions in it. I'm just like, come on. (laughs) The double Uh, opinion gambit. Yeah, for for the most point, it's it's defensible. And in some cases, it's actively good. And it's like, yes, you know, slam dunk. I love opinions in this deck. And then... There was one where I was just like, dude, come on. It's like, it's just not even good here. Like, even you have to admit it's not good. He's like, yeah, but I like it. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. Sometimes stuff like that happens too, where you're like, I don't know if this is good or bad uh, that I feel this way now, but I just have like a a very strong opinion about this card and it's probably going to sway me in one direction or another. Like, I'm sure having to rally against Cho wanting to include pinions in every deck makes it so I am less likely to want to include it. Right. In the yeah, all of your energy is spent fighting against it. It's hard to appreciate its upside. But yeah, after after Pittsburgh, what happened with you in relation to limited? Like, have you played on Arena at all? Have you, like, you know, it's like you'll see the Twitter post, right? But, like, how much do you dive into them? How much do you read about the discourse? Or do you just scroll past it? I follow the disc. I, I I read a lot of Magic Twitter, often to my detriment. So I follow the discourse. I see what people are talking about almost always. As far as play, I I just got really busy prepping for the Flesh and Blood Pro Tour and put most of my focus there. So I've I've drafted like twice, and that's it. And now I have to get myself caught up with where everyone has who has all these reps like yourself, where I've been grinding the mythic as I try and steal a seat basically in this qualifier. Well, okay, so what are your you know, thoughts, opinions, takeaways on the format? Like, how do you view the format currently? I basically was, in my very little limited draft experience, forcing blue-white pretty hard. I just think, like, the evasion, the commons are all absurd. Uh, very easy to find ways to force through lethal damage. I think the... Uh, I call them the mythic commons of the... Particularly the gold ones, you know, so, like, the Rakdos, Demir core guild mythic commons 
I still have a very high opinion of. And I also think there's some banger commons in each color as well, which I basically let drive my draft to most extents. Like if I find a bunch of those banger commons, then I want to focus around them because I think the power level difference is so huge between them and the rest of the field. So I think that each color basically has an A plus at common. And I know that everyone's grading scales vary, but I have mostly adopted the internal Watsi scale, at least from when I was there in like 2013, 2014, because it made a lot of sense to me. I think it was really well done. I don't know if they changed it since then or what, but it normally like every color would have an A plus uncommon in limited, for example. So I think the the power level has clearly risen for like things that they're willing to do in limited. And for, for the record, uh, Inspiring Overseer, Jewel Thief, I think are the two ones that stand out to people as like, wow, this is like super above rate compared to what we normally do. But then you look right. at the other colors too, and you have Murder Common, which they have kind of like shied away from doing in limited at common. Uh, Strangle, which is maybe one of the best removal spells that they've had in, at common. Yep. And then Echo Inspector, which... What a house. Ah, uh, man. Uh, four, four mana for a 3-4 flyer at common and limited. Like, I used to be excited about my Windrakes. Like, very excited about my Windrakes. Right. So I, I think that those in a vacuum are all A pluses. Although there are format quirks that make things like murder maybe not as good as they would be in older sets where you have things like shield counters and mm-hmm. you're, you're encouraged to build a three color deck, like two colors with a splash, maybe, uh, which makes uh, like a CC casting cost harder than like a CD, for example, right? So yep. murder is kind of hard to cast, maybe doesn't kill uh, some of the stuff that matters. So it is, it is interesting. And then you have the cycle of allied gold commons that you mentioned, like body dropper, snooping newsy, civil servant, celestial regulator, and then what's oh Jetmere's fixer? So it's like th- those cards are good. Civil servant and regulator being pretty far better than the other ones, I think. But like I wouldn't categorize them as is a pluses necessarily. Interesting. Uh, d- now. You are speaking mostly from the draft perspective. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. I think I think we should kind of like contextualize things as far as draft because obviously sealed, maybe the, the games tend to be a little bit more slower, a little bit more grindier. People generally have bombs. You might be willing to play more colors. Yeah. And yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that later. So for the most part, we'll, we'll talk about draft to kind of set things up. Okay, that that makes sense to me, uh, even if we are playing sealed this weekend, because I think it's been very rare that a good understanding of a draft format hasn't translated to a very large degree to understanding of the sealed format. You just have to already have the sealed fundamentals. Like if you lay those sealed fundamentals on top of your draft understanding of the set, I find that's often enough to carry me in a sealed format. A lot of the time, because a, a lot of the decks are trying to do similar things and have a lot of the same cards and Mm -hmm. the archetypes don't have a ton of variety with some exceptions. It's like, well, you know, Azorius or just like brokers band in general is fairly aggressive leaning. It's like this aggressive kind of tempo we deck and you can't really build a controlling version of that necessarily. So if you play against a broker's deck in sealed, that is probably what you're going to get. Maybe they're not as streamlined. Maybe they're not as aggressive. Maybe they're playing a little bit more top end, but your cards are going to line up 
basically the same way against theirs as you would if you were playing a game of draft. Yeah, I think that one of the big differences I would expect, and this goes for all sealed format, is that as the game goes on, they are more likely to branch in more directions. So more splashes, more like big bombs that are splashed on the top end. And so whereas, you know, tight curve, win the game by X turn is more prevalent in draft, things will get a little bit loopier as you get to the late game and sealed. Right. And that happens a lot of the time. It, it, it doesn't happen all of the time because mm-hmm. uh, I've opened some some blue white decks that look better than my draft decks. Awesome. Awesome. That, I mean, that's that's my hope because I'm very ready to play blue white. Easy mode, uh, right? Yeah, I, I would like some easy mode when it comes to the arena qualifier this weekend. So your your deck for the team sealed was blue white and it, was. It, it looked kind of mopey because the rest of the format is like, oh, look at these splashy three color things that you can do. Meanwhile, you were I described it as like a classic draft like blue white flyers deck and yep. you were just like all commons and uncommons right uh, i had one rare i had uh the angel rare gilda yeah. is that right giada giada i don't know yeah yep yeah so I, I obviously that card is good but it's just like yeah sure. you have you know four twos like five threes five fours a couple fives some tricks and it's just like i don't know this is like a six out of ten or whatever but it's like I, you won i think you lost one match maybe I, I literally, the only card I lost to the entire day, I, I only lost one match. I lost some games as well, though. But the only games I lost were to 4-4 uh, Trample, Lifelink Haste, Fleet Foot Dancer. That's a good card. Yeah, didn't lose to anything else. So I, I thought the deck was actually excellent. And actually, one of the matches I lost was to double Fleet Foot Dancer. I, I beat the first one, could not beat the second one. So that nice. was the problem card for me. Uh, you know, some of that was in misbuilding. But on the whole, I thought the archetype was excellent. And like you said, if you looked at it on paper, it, it was just tricks, just some dumb flyers, and it lined up very well with what everyone else was doing. Yeah, and then and then we get home, we see the discourse for the people that have been drafting all weekend. There's like the 17lands.com data that folks can go look at if you're interested in the limited format. Like definitely go check out that website. And if you're interested in that stuff and want to dive deep, they have everything you could ever want, right? Yeah, very useful tool. Yeah, all all the streamers, all of the 17 lands diehards are just like, you know, brokers is the truth. White is the truth. And it was very much these decks that were built off the back of like white, blue and green commons. And you understand why. I mean, (laughs) you can't talk about the commons in the set without mentoring inspiring overseer just so far above anything else that's offered maybe historically at common unless you go back to like actual mistake errors things like pestilence at common sure <laughs> care back storage rolling thunder right but th- i mean that was it that was before actually limited design inspiring overseers up there with the best of them yeah so i it is it's weird to me because the format doesn't have a ton of card advantage but the esper mechanic is connive which a lot of the time you're, you know, in the case of Echo over Echo Inspector, you're getting a body that is above rate, hopefully discarding something of value like Rafine's Guidance, Expendable Lackey, right. uh, Maestro Initiate, what have you. And you're just like filtering through your deck. And even like these aggressive decks just see so many cards per game. And then that's also just compounded with the Overseer common too. Meanwhile, the, I mean, like Black has a decent amount of recursion and some card advantage like tricks and fancy things that you can do. But you play like green, red aggro where things like Jetmere's Fixer, it's like, oh, this this looks pretty powerful, but 
the the blue white decks like get under you they draw a bunch of cards they have ways to gain life they have things like rooftop nuisance to just almost completely lock you out of the game and you're just like i have a grizzly bear and suddenly it it doesn't look as fair anymore yeah so in the sealed format i'd often find those decks doing a very good job of scaling through the late game that they went up very high on the curve is it just too hard to do that in the context of limited because the decks are so much more streamlined more efficient uh for for the most part because the okay so the the format is fast but not like kill you on turn four fast you Mm -hmm. know and I, i think that that sort of gets muddied in translation when people talk about like the speed of the format or just describe things as fast where I don't think that's entirely accurate. I think the games can like very easily play out until turn seven, eight or whatever, but say you don't get to play anything on turn three. I mean that, that could be your death knell, right? So I think the format is punishing and there are not a lot of ways to catch back up. And in the green red deck, (laughs) I mean, the, the, the fights are, are pretty bad. You prize fight a common, right? Like that's yep. green's removal spell. You have things like Bouncer's Beatdown, Cabaretti Charm, and Uncommon, which aren't, aren't fights. It's just determined by the amount of creatures you have or your highest power or whatever. Those are actively good. But the, the fight spell at common, when a lot of your stuff is like three ones, two twos, two ones, it's just not very good. You're, you're fighting so hard to maybe get like a four, four uncommons that you can profitably fight things and then still blue white just has a bunch of tricks to blow you out and things that inherently have shield counters right so the ways that you have to slow down these blue white tempo decks are just not very effective at all and i mean there's a a three mana spider sawjack high rise sawjack i think is the name i just always always put in like random words into its name for some reason. And then uh, the four five reach trample in red at common. So it's like you have these big spiders, which used to be really good against the flyer decks, but it's just a speed bump, man. They, they just, they are good if they stick, but you're just treading water until they draw something to deal with it. So you, you are off to the races. Basically you don't really have a choice. And then they have evasion. They can block your ground things very effectively. They have, some life gain tricks to win the race. They have some tappy things to win the race and you don't have any real ways to interact with them. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I actually loved about uh, the blue white archetype was how good it is at its removal setup. And I'm going to put removal in air quotes because the removal isn't like hard removal, but it's really good soft removal. Things like witness protection, just uh, as I played more and more, I realized how important it was for forcing through like those red bumps, like you're mentioning, you know, typically you leave behind a thing and you go, okay, well, downgrade this removal spell in my eyes. But given the game plan you play, you just don't care much about that 1-1 one, one. and the fact that you get to do it so efficiently uh, and still, again, move forward your curve, contribute to the battlefield. Like you said, I do think the format could be punishing at times. And it's another reason why I love Connive so much, actually, because like you're, <laughs> you can make a medium play to set up your good play on the next turn. Should you be flooded? Should you be you know, land light, you just assure you're going to do a thing. Even if it means you're downgraded on a turn, you're doing something. And that's what matters is doing something on each turn. Yeah. The thing though, is that connive is part of the problem because if they ever stumbled, okay, well maybe you have some breathing room. Maybe you have some time to catch up, but they they don't though, but they basically don't. Yeah. So 
they have the evasion, they have the interaction, they have the tricks, and they just have the filtering and the velocity and just get to basically spend all of their mana until like turn seven, eight, if they want. And it's really tough to beat that. Whereas before it's like, well, maybe if they run out of gas, maybe if they flood out a little bit, I would have some time to, to, you know, ramp treasure into my seven drop or something. But connive is such an obscene limited mechanic, especially, I mean, if, if they were on things like one ones that maybe became two twos or something, it would not be as bad. But it's it's on a two one that becomes a three two, yeah. And the bodies that pick this up are so good, right? We talked about Echo Inspector. I mean, that's that's obviously the poster child for like I but would the, I would play this body anyway, and then you're giving me connive on top of it, right? And the the toughness kind of does matter there because then you just brick oh, yeah. strangle and deal yep. gone bad and call a professional and stuff like that. So for sure. But yeah, I mean, th- three power there is also pretty important because it's like, well, yeah, this is aggressively statted for a four drop common, especially. So the band decks, a lot of the time don't stumble and they have better power and toughness than you. They have evasion. They have ways to break through combat and even your late game stuff just might not matter because run out of town or witness protection is like not played as much. I think it is very good in specific decks where maybe you're all flyers or just all creatures with evasion. Then you definitely don't care about the one, one, Right. But when you're trying to get through with like gathering throngs and stuff, then it it actually becomes kind of a problem where, you know, the, the one one is definitely a punish, right? Sure, sure. It's a punish. And I, I think I had like all of these really, really low, like be it pacifism, be it witness protection, just because the sacrificial fodder for casualties seemed like you right. never wanted to leave that behind. But my opinion on that changed pretty quickly. I'm, I'm curious, like where your opinion is now, having played a lot more. Conditional removal in general, is it something that you seek to avoid or are you basically okay with it at this point? So when when formats get to be this punishing, like again, you could you could describe it as fast, I guess, but I, I think it is just if you fall behind, you either you need some sort of catch-up mechanism and the ones that exist have a lot of problems and so don't always work, and like shield counters have a lot to do with that. But if you're playing a format where if you stumble you lose. And it's very rarely just about like raw card economy, you know, like you're killing their stuff and drawing some cards and hoping to eventually grind them out. Then hard removal actually just gets much worse. And what you're looking for are just tempo plays. And the reason for that is like, there's only a, a very few specific amount of things that actually matter because say you have three flyers and you're ahead in the race. Well, okay. Then my opponent's ground creatures don't matter anymore. And then if you're in a tight race and maybe their ground creatures matter a little bit, but they have a a spider that's in the way of your flyers, basically like the only thing that matters is that spider and you don't need to kill it forever. You can just like tap and freeze it. So you have regulator or rooftop nuisance. You can witness protection it or whatever, right? Like you don't actually have to hard deal with it. You just have to like buy some time for the two turns that you need to just make it not matter forever because eventually they'll be dead or then you can alpha strike through it or whatever. So yeah, hold for ransom, completely, completely serviceable, uh, completely fine. I don't think you want a ton of them. I don't think you necessarily want it in your control decks. If you have better options against black decks, I think that it's completely fine to bring it out there. But even then, the, the casualty cards are very rarely like, oh, I get to sack this for a thing that impacts the board, right? It's like 
dig up the body is the most common thing. And that's actively getting rid of their board position for like a little bit of card advantage. So even then you're just like, yeah, you just spent three mana on that thing. Like, yeah, you got to get rid of this thing that was in play and I'm technically down a resource, but you're just so far ahead on board position or you're just like also ahead on cards because you've been conniving away like lackeys and making fishes and whatnot. Right. So it's, it's a lot of like virtual card advantage built into the format where, you know, there, there are decks that, that do want to grind like some, some Grixis decks, some blue black decks, some even red black decks that is just like, yes, murder is important because I need to kill everything. But for the most part, it's like, well, murder kills the, the thing that is troubling me the most. And in, in that sense, it is just, you know, blue whites, uh, hold for ransom or run out of town or rooftop. Cause like next turn, they're also going to play a thing that is like very similar to the thing that you murdered. Right. It's not like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. They're not just playing like a bomb card that you kill and then you're completely safe or anything. It's like all the cards are just as good as the other ones. So, you know, I, I hate hardline rules when it comes to uh, magic in general, but especially limited formats where like you should always do this over this. They just don't apply. Like that's not the way limited works. But when you're trying to learn a format quickly, I do think like base points like that can be useful. So, you know, the old trend is bombs than removal when it comes to limited formats. Would you rather have like a non-bomb threat a lot of the time over removals? Like I'm, ha I'm having a hard time contextualizing exactly like, you know, something that is a meaningful threat, but not a bomb. So the type of thing that usually removal would go over, but in this set, you're prior prioritizing that thing instead. I mean, I there, there are a lot of instances of that happening when you're drafting blue-white, if you want to categorize things like hold for ransom as removal. Yeah. Because like I said, so many of the other cards accomplish the same thing that removal would do, which is just get that thing out of the way, even though it's not a hard removal spell. So it's like, yeah, regulator, rooftop nuisance, you'll absolutely take those over hold for ransom unless you have like curve considerations or it's just like, oh, I really would like a pacifism because of XYZ card is, is tough to deal with in this deck specifically. So, it, I mean, it's also funny because a lot of the comms in the set are, are like bombs, especially compared to the rest of the format, because there's like the upper tier of stuff and then just like a lot of filler. Right. So right. that makes sense. Yeah. Playables are deep, but the, the card quality drops off pretty quickly. And so you basically will snatch up, overseer echo inspector over you know like murder and strangle unless again yeah your deck specifically needs it right like their context is important if you have like three echo inspectors maybe you should take your first murder instead of the fourth one or something you probably don't sure. need the fourth one but yeah. yeah for the most part it's just like good good threats are better than good removal a lot of the time because you you need to get on the board pretty quickly and you need to be capable of winning these racing situations and even for the murders, there's things like Deal Gone Bad, which is like clunky mm. and mopey, but also has some upside compared to murder where it just kills the things that have shield counters. No, fair enough. I mean, shield counters dictated a lot of the games I played, uh, a lot of my removal choices. So I I get paying attention to those. Uh, I, I guess now maybe I want to get your thoughts on the secondary type of removal that's blocking. Are, are you trading a lot in this format? Like, are you are you looking Ooh. to actively swap bodies or, or what's going on with blocking decisions? Dude, one of the things that I love figuring out in a game of limited is when you're supposed to be blocking. And like, I mean, we did an episode on this. Right. One of my favorite right? things as well. And 
it was one of the, my favorite things from watching show draft too, where he's like, yeah, I think this looks good, you know, to, to make an attack here and trade it away or like trade this thing. And the, the thing that I realized is that like, I am just not trading very often in this format. And there are a lot of reasons. And I think the most surface level one is especially against black decks. They have fake your own death rogues gallery, dig up the body. Yeah. A bunch of graveyard synergy stuff. And they also want to play a longer game generally. Like the the Rectos decks can be very aggressive for sure. And it's like, well, then maybe they're not playing as many card advantage graveyard shenanigans stuff. And you want to preserve your life total because at some point they're just going to, you know, blitz two things a turn until you're dead. But in, in so many cases, I was like, no, nah, I don't think I want to trade. And part of the reason for that is Quick Draw Dagger, which is a three Massive mana blowout. Yeah, three mana common artifact. Uh, equipment that is like ETB equipped to a creature that creature gets first strike until end of turn and plus one plus one and then you can move it around for one mana so it's like you block their three two with your echo inspector and they dagger you and you lost your thing but also now they have this dagger in play and their thing scaled up a little bit more and the sizing is like really tight in this format and like I mentioned yeah. with the, the prize fight stuff it's just you don't have a bunch of three fours and four fours lying around like you would expect in a normal limited format. So uh, actually scaling something up to four toughness can be a big deal a lot of the time. And I think dagger is not as important as I thought initially, but that's also because a lot of people figured out that they're not supposed to be blocking a lot of mm -hmm. the times. So okay. dagger will blow you out when you are blocking. I mean, sometimes it blows you out on offense too, where you just attack another thing and they, they dagger on defense. But if, if they're a defensive deck, Dagger's a pretty mopey card, right? So yeah, there's there's recursion, there's the dagger, but then there's also the fact that a lot of your cards get better the more power you have in play, and that is going to depend on your deck a lot. And uh, there's stuff like Cabaretti Charm and Take to the Streets, like these kind of overrun effects, or maybe if you have equipment in your deck, a Ceremonial Groundbreaker, the uh, aforementioned Gilded Pinions, maybe also. But in a lot of my decks, it's, well, eventually I'm going to like rooftop nuisance you and tap your two things. And at that point, I want as much power in play to capitalize right. on that turn as possible. Interesting. I mean, it, it, you know, some of the some of the things we're talking about puts me in the mindset of like Zendikar almost, where it's just like, just do your thing, push damage. And obviously it's not anywhere near that aggressive. I don't think any limited format ever will be quite, yeah step, quite step links step links played a gop like those cards were absurd for their time yeah but there's there's some of that vibe going on where you're just like incentivized to do your thing and i think that is sort of messing with my card evaluations a lot of the time but maybe that's a good thing like maybe it's good that i'm trying to stay more fluid and trying to actually shape a game plan because i find that when i'm drafting at my best it's usually about it's not, oh, I want this card because it's good. It's, I want this card because it fits in my deck. Right. How much is like contextual drafting a big part of what you're doing here? 100%. But, it, it, I mean, it's kind of funny because it's like, well, if you're like blue, white, and aggressive, you might want this card more. And it's like, well, if you're blue, white, you probably are aggressive or your deck is incapable of winning. So, sure. And there are some instances where you are just kind of like pigeonholed into that thing. So, a lot of the time, you are just thinking, along the same wavelength, right? Mm -hmm. uh, at least for some archetypes. Like I've, I've had some 
wildly different Rakdos decks and Gruul decks. And I, I think like Rakdos is actually pretty good and Gruul I've yet to get there mostly. I've not cracked that code. It where where the pick orders can vary a lot. And then for blue white, the pick orders vary, but like you mentioned, it is just based on your specific deck. A lot of the time it's just like how many two drops do I want? Do I need? Yeah. Do I have? What are the ones that are available? Am I taking something that is just effectively Goblin Piker over Echo Inspector because I just absolutely need the two drop? And those picks feel bad, like just always, right? Where it's like, oh man, I have to take this stupid Halo Scarab because I only have, you know, two two drops right now or something. But I, I, I like when that happens. It makes me feel like, okay, I'm being disciplined. I'm being smart. I'm right. actually deck building. You are. I mean, it feels bad to pass the the awesome card, but then your deck ends up being better. Right. Yeah, and I, I like when formats test me like that. I want them to continually like dangle that carrot in front of my face and test my discipline. Am I going to go ahead and make the decision which is best for you know long-term health, my archetype, or do I want this absurd power spike to be present that you know I have to figure out on the fly which one is going to actually contribute to my win percentage more? Yeah, so a lot of it is filling out your curve and then figuring out how that curve is actually going to contribute to you winning a game. And that just means like, okay, am I a rooftop nuisance deck? Would I prefer to have something a little bit more all around? So like, you know, run out of town, sleep with the fishes, that sort of thing. Like what kind of cards am I looking for in my deck? Like, do I have uh, Illuminator Virtuoso? So I actually need a decent amount of things that can target my own creatures and maybe actually like pump this thing up or make it unblockable. Things like uh, Security Bypass. I don't even know if you know what that card does. For example, not offhand, no, nope. yeah. Uh, so it's a common, it is uh, one U aura when enchanted creature attacks alone, it can't be blocked, and then when it deals combat damage to an opponent, connive. Yeah, I like, I remember having this in my sealed bowl and just looking at it and being like, What is this? What is this here for? So, what are you doing with this card? Well, I mean, sometimes you just play a one drop and start giving them the business. Okay, I like that. I like that setup. <laughs> sometimes the board stalls and you you put it on like your worst flyer or whatever to actually get through. Uh, sometimes you put it on the double striker and just win the game in two turns. Sure, I like that. For the virtuoso, you get the immediate connive, and mm-hmm. then you hit them for two and then three, and then it's like four and then five. If you have any other trick, they're just dead, or you know you have a, a boon or a slip to protect it or something, or make disappear. Like like you just get to draft Delver in this format. I think that is the best way to describe it. That is that is messed up. Yeah, yeah, kind of is because everyone else is like, I have no one drops and my two drop is Grizzly Bear. Now, now I'm going to force this. You've just ruined my next draft. Like there's there's no way I make it out alive because I, I just want to do this very badly. So here's the thing is that people figured it out really quickly and a lot of people are forcing it. Okay. But it can support a lot of people because it just has been uh, with a lot of people forcing it. And I think that that has kind of died down a little bit. Normally like, the, the ebb and flow of a format would be like, oh, well, actually, we figured out how to draft Grixis, and now we beat up on blue-white, and like there's some churn or whatever. People haven't figured out how to do that yet, probably because they can't. Do you think it's just impossible? I mean, do you think this is going to set the tone for this archetype throughout the lifespan of Streets of New Capenna? I, I have three different things that are all black-based that I've had marginal success with. But I'm I'm not about to say that it's a slam dunk. Like it is harder than than anything else I've tried. Like I mean, it's it's just like standard formats where 
you know, Omnath is the best thing or whatever. It's just mm, like and you're forcing something else into it. Yeah. Just like what, what can you even do against this? Like you can get close, but there's, there's no, you know, hate card that's easy to turn to. There's no way to draft your deck where it's like, okay, now I'm favored. It's just like their cards are good. Their disruption's good. They have a lot of card filtering and you're, you either have to out aggro them, which is hard, but maybe the, the easiest way to do it. You can kill all their stuff. Again, hard, but the tools do exist in the format to do that, at least. You just have to be able to get all the cards. And then uh, the other way, the blue-black way that I kind of like is just drafting it where the white cards are way overdrafted and because they want to be like blue-white or white-green. And then it's like, well, maybe I can get a bunch of good black cards, some blue cards, like the extras that people don't want, and then I can build like this lifelink removal racing deck with snooping Mm -hmm. and that one's that one's actually been okay for me nice that sounds exciting as well again getting some delver vibes where you're just like doing that thing but i i like that play style so i'm not going to complain about that it's it's interesting man because there's there's so many games of limited and limited formats where you just kind of like throw your hands up and it's like you know i I mulligan once, I kept this two lander, I have 10 green sources, I didn't draw it, there's like not really a whole lot I could have done, blah, 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 or like I kept a three lander in my 18 land deck, missed my fourth land drop, nothing I could have done. And in this format, it's just like, you should be able to play until turn six, every game, because of the cards that exist in the format. And that's mostly across all colors. It's like, Connive is obviously the best part like the the thing that does that the best but i think all colors have some amount of that so it's like your your decisions do matter you do actually get to play the games the problem is the the blue white stuff is generally better than what everyone else is doing but the games the games are action-packed they're tight they're they're a lot of fun you you get to play magic you get to make choices and in, in the vein of like the Delver type of play style or whatever, it is very reminiscent of that, where it's just like, yeah, the, the first four turns matter more than anything else. Yeah. Well, you, you know, it's better than having turns not matter at all, which is some of the vibe I've gotten recently from, from some of these limited formats. So I, I can take that. You know, Gerald, I'm usually very good at transitioning our show to various points and moving us along from topic to topic. But as I go through our show notes for this one, I have nothing for this next transition because I, I actually don't know what you're talking about. I You have written here, fake aggro slash false tempo is very possible. I don't know what you mean. I have I have no idea how to set you up for that. So you're just going to have to tell me what you're talking about with this with this setup here. I I brought this up in our sealed deck. Do you actually not know what I'm talking no. about? No, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, I, I, I definitely mentioned it more than once. And I, I think you, you just forgot it, which is fine because like, you know. If you're not going to play the limited format, why do you remember any of that stuff? But so we sat down to build our decks. You were looking at Grixis. I was looking at Blue White. Josh was looking at Naya, basically, right? Mm -hmm. And then at some point we swapped. So then, or me and Josh swapped. So I was across the table looking at the the green-white deck. And then you were still building the Grixis deck, which was like Rakdos with... uh, uh, not not like a light splash. I think it was like four blue cards. It was like kind of heavy, but uh, okay. It's 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 congealing now, Gerald. I'm old. You have to forgive me, but I remember this exact interaction, and now I know where we're going with this. Okay, Go. so I remember looking at that deck, and it it was like my first time like actually looking at it. It was like 
okay, you know, like what cards do we have? Is this possible? Yeah. And then when you're laying out the specifics of it, I'm just like, oh, this, this deck is actually busted. Like this is going to be super sick because the deck had like a very aggressive curve, not a lot of top end mana wise, but then it just had a bunch of like removal and card draw engines. And I was like, this, this deck is just going to like annihilate opponents because they will not know how to play against it or sideboard because you're going to have these like really aggressive Rectos starts, right? And then they're going to be fighting to get back control of the board and stabilize. And then like maybe they're 10 life, but they have to like hold their stuff back so they can't really attack you. And then you're like, good. Because I'm just going to start drawing cards and like killing all your stuff and then eventually find like Obnixilis or maestro's ascendancy with the token makers that were in the deck and you're you're just gonna grind them out because like playing the aggro plan was was not it that was never that was never the plan a it was just the the function of like the cards in the deck yeah the the joke is you're actually not good at closing out the game that way like you're not going to have what it takes to get over the finish line but you've put them in such a disadvantaged position, force them to trade resources negatively, force them to give up their own tempo because you've presented this early start that it sets you up so well to play your back end of here's this recursive thing, here's this source of card advantage, and now you overwhelm them on that front as well. One of my favorite archetypes to play, I, I think I, I just think of it differently. I didn't use that phrasing to conceptualize it, fake aggro, false tempo, but now that you describe it, Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I agree, very, very possible. I watched you do it just game after game with this uh, this Grixis setup we gave you. Yeah, and unfortunately, some of the games I blew. But that's that's neither here nor there. The best part about it is like, okay, yeah, that, that sets you up pretty well to win that game, right? But over the course of the match, things will happen where you'll corrupt a court official, your opponent, and they'll discard like a divination or like some other kind of like slow source of card advantage because they're currently under pressure, right? And that translated into sideboarding too, mm-hmm. where my one of my opponents brought in a second sweeper. And I was like, wow, they're like a kind of like mid-rangey green deck where they're already really set up to beat up on some of my low impact kind of aggro cards. So it's like, I'm going to side out this medium two drop and this medium three drop, bring in another card advantage spell and like a big creature. Right. And so they're like, aha, I I got kind of beat up game one, but now I have the second sweeper. Surely I won't get run over. And I just play like nothing on two, a four toughness thing, a four toughness thing. And they're just like, what the hell? Yeah, the blitz mechanic is so good at setting this up, right? Like, that's really the bread and butter of this when you're looking at the Rakdos setups is that you are presenting this clock early, but actually you're not investing any resources whatsoever. You're just returning stuff to your hand, uh, making new resources. And if their life total is pressured and you blitz a creature, them having to block it feels so, so bad, especially when they trade. It's like they've actually given up so much in that scenario. Right. And when you back that up with more card advantage things like even even rose gallery is like so good in these setups where you're just trading 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 but it's interesting because we talked about how like you're not super incentivized to trade in a lot of scenarios so how does this actually play if your opponent got the memo and they go okay do your thing i'm ignoring you i'm doing my own thing and trying to push damage that way like this this specific type of archetype yeah i mean it it's so hard to know what's going on as you're playing the games, right? Because again, the first few turns matter so much. And all, all you're thinking about is like the first five turns is like, they are kicking my ass, right? Yeah. Like, how do I stabilize? And 
you're thinking that, well, they have all these mayhem patrols and body droppers and aggressive cards and they're killing my blockers. You, you are expecting them to then have, you know, top end stuff that's going to help them close the game like that. And I, I don't think that there's any real human way to get out of that mindset in that moment because you're you're playing the game your your brain is telling you that like you have to stabilize which is true right and then you're thinking about what to play around that would also help them further that game plan and i i just i don't think that there's any way you can get around it other than just being aware of it where it's like okay this rectos deck has an island splashing is generally not conducive to being a good aggro deck maybe take a look in on what their teammates are playing. And it's like, okay, well, like Brian is blue, white and Josh also has red in his deck. So like, how did they, how did they divvy up the red cards in a way that matters? Like, I, I guess, you know, Jerry has some Grixis cards, but like what are ones that would be worth playing in this sort of aggro deck? And then it's just like, you see, I don't know, like the, the Maestro's Ascendancy, for example. And you're like, oh crap. Like I am going to have to uh -oh. beat that at some point. Yeah. Uh oh, you know? So yeah, that's the moment things get real scary. It's one. It's also one of the reasons too, not to like get too far from this topic. It's one of the reasons why I think Lifelink is so so good in this format. Lifelink is so so good in every format. Yes, is the secret. But it it's excellent in this format because you get to do some of this stabilization, ignore your opponent while still advancing your own game plan. Dude, it, it's this the same virtual card advantage concept, right? Yep. If you're gaining life, well, then they're. Uh, call the professionals to the face don't matter and like their last blitz card doesn't matter and the the two tutus they have attacking you don't matter and that's just all it is yeah and you know i mentioned that the 4-4 lifelink trample haste was the only card i lost to i mean yes that's a ridiculous stat line on a card and it's a rare but it had so much more to do if it didn't have lifelink, lifelink it, it would be irrelevant it would be irrelevant yeah because you're you're like the blue white decks are good at dealing 20 damage before your opponent can Dealing yeah. 30, 30 damage? I mean, if you have the double strike setups, yeah, you can go over the top of that for sure. But it's one of the reasons why I started looking at blue black because like the newsies were pretty easy to get and they have decent stat lines. They have lifelink. And if they stay around when a lot of the removal from blue white is not permanent, well, you know, you just got to find a way to keep connecting with those things, keep getting them in. And if you're at like 30, 35 life or whatever, you're probably going to win the race. Yeah, if Fleet Foot Dancer has like trample, haste, death touch, which is still a nice combination of abilities, quite frankly. If it does those things, it's laughable against my blue white deck. Like I, I just don't care. It doesn't matter. But when it has life, like it changes absolutely everything. Right. So back back to the false tempo stuff. I I categorized the deck as like a fake aggro deck because I was realizing how the games were gonna play out in the moment. And then I, I realized that it was basically false tempo, which is like a thing that I've written about before. And it's basically a characterization of the old Splinter Twin decks mm -hmm. where they are pressuring you with this combo just by the fact that it exists. Yep. So one of my favorite types of pressure, by the way. Yeah. And your opponent just like always has to keep open mana and they're not allowed to develop their game plan. So you just sit back, play some cantrips, play some Snapcaster Mages, beat them down. Eventually lightning bolt them out and they're just like, oh, you know, what the hell? I had this Rakdos charm for your combo or whatever. But it like they knew that you knew that the combo was pretty important. So then they just found a way to divvy off of it. And these decks are basically doing the same thing where it's like they're making you think that the game is about one thing, but their real plan is something else. And that sounds all like fine, well and good in theory, but it doesn't work out in practice in magic as often as you would think. Mm hmm. 
because it's like one of the things is like maybe just not as threatening as you would like it to be. But like the twin combo is turn four, you lose, right? So yeah, you have to keep open terminate mana for that. And the Rakdos deck is like, I'm, I'm doing a bunch of stuff. I'm looking really scary. I'm pushing a lot of damage at you. And then you're just like, well, I have to side in this other sweeper or I had, I had one opponent like side out their Dusk Mangler in a black midrange mirror against me. And because they thought I was too fast, right? And it's just like, oh, okay, that's actually one of the better cards against me. But I, yeah. I, I could see that when we were building the deck. It's like, this is exactly what people are going to be doing. And it, it just worked out beautifully. And I think that that is something you can do more so in best of three. And there are best of three options available for these tournaments. It's just, you have to play more games. So it takes more time. And I th- that's fine. You know, I, I think that best of three in this format is like way better than best of one. And I think mm-hmm. if we are playing best of three, it would probably solve a lot of the problems that I have with the format, honestly. Yeah. You know, it, it's a mixed bag. I understand why best of one has gotten so popular. Like as, as a player who just wants to play some games, I kind of prefer it quite frankly, but in terms of like actually producing the best magic, no question. Best of three is it every time. And uh, your, your point is really good. I mean, sideboarding and limited is also one of my favorite things to do. So I, I do miss it. I bemoan the fact that we moved to best of one, but ultimately this weekend, it looks like I am going to be playing best of one. So I'm going to live with it. Going to figure it out, you know, move forward under that context. I mean, when you think about it, it is very similar because you have, you have your deck that is hopefully cohesive and has a good game plan. And then say you play uh, four matches, best of three, you have to go like eight and three effectively. Mm-hmm. And if you play the best and best of one, you have to get like seven wins before three losses. So seven and two. So yeah, there, there are potentially like you could eight Oh, I guess. And then you're playing maybe fewer games than if you went seven, two and still qualified or something, but it is very similar towards like, well, I just kind of like got mana screwed in game two, but like, let's, let's play game three. So I, it's it's really not that much different. It's just like you get to tailor, you get to like beat up on a specific opponent potentially if it's like, well, I lost game one, but now I know how to like sideboard and configure my deck against them. Yeah. So so what's the breakdown again for these weekend events? There's a, an, a last chance qualifier next weekend, right? But there's also, is it one qualifier this weekend or two qualifiers this weekend? Well, it starts on Friday and then I'm going to, I'm going to pull it up. So like, give me a second. I have to scroll okay. through massive amounts of draft deck screenshots to find the link that show sent me because I think it is the easiest way to actually find this thing. Yeah. Lord knows you're not going on the magic website and just finding the link. That's completely out of the question. Magic.gg slash events slash qualifier hyphen play hyphen in magic.gg slash events slash qualifier play in with hyphens in between the words. So there's, there's a qualifier May 21st. That's best of one. And then a qualifier, uh, well, the, the qualifier plans, excuse me. So qualifier play in May 21st, best of one, May 27th, best of three, but they, they last for like 24 hours. Right. So it's not like, Oh, it's just one event that I have to play in. Like you can play in as many as you want, you know, say you have like a, a day commitment. You can't play till later. That's fine. You know, you want to play in multiple times cause you keep losing also fine. So yeah, just, I, I don't want it to be uh, categorized as like, oh, just one thing and then you're out or whatever. No, 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 that's, that's a good distinction. Yep. But uh, okay, so the the one Saturday, May 21st is six wins or two losses. So they, they okay. all have like slightly different schedules. I was talking about 
uh, the arena open, basically. Right. Like what that right. looked like. So uh, six wins or two losses. Okay, so it's Saturday and Sunday for play-ins. And then uh, those are both best of one. And then Friday, May 27th is the best of three Q. And then gotcha. if you get a token from one of the qualifiers, then Saturday, May 28th, which is why it's basically like an LCQ. It's like the actual qualifiers the next day. That's yep. that's the actual qualifier. And the format for that one is? I believe it is sealed and then draft day two, but I could be wrong. Gotcha. Interesting little setup. Yeah. So it's cool. I mean, they're, they're giving you different options to play. Obviously, like it, it is a decent chunk of money and six wins with the same deck before getting two losses in best of one. Like I get why that's frustrating. You know, I understand why the system is frustrating in a lot of different ways. Could eat some gems. I mean, it was also frustrating to drive, you know, three hours for a PTQ and go O2. So whenever you're competing and trying to achieve something, there's going to be some frustration baked into it, right? Yeah, but at least that it was like the format was kind of normalized and widely agreed on that this is fine and we probably are not going to be able to do better than this, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas this, people are definitely just like uh, best of one in limited kind of stinks because of XYZ reasons. And this format has like mana fixing and a bunch of card filtering, but it's also like, yo, maybe you should play that third color, you know, <laughs> and like make things a little bit harder on yourself, make it so you get mana screwed a little bit more often. So I don't know if they're like consciously trying to make the limited formats a little bit smoother and make non games less of an issue. I, I think that's always like a side goal, right? There's always some leaning towards that and trying to fix the issue of mana screw, mana flood, mitigate it in some ways. I mean, you, you say that as an issue, and I, I know that you don't mean that 100%. It's like it, it's more of a feature than a bug. Absolutely. but Absolutely. But uh, you have to placate the, the people who insist that right. magic's greatest flaw is its mana system, where it's actually its greatest triumph. Look, you should be taking Rafine's Informant higher than you are. I will just say that. It, it. I mean, doesn't solve all your problems, but it goes a long way. Yep. Yeah, pay the cost. I mean, also the card is just busted, so. Yeah, that that is uh, the, the PTQ stuff formats for this weekend. So, like, so far, how how are you feeling on things? You, you think you have a, a decent handle on things? You have any outstanding questions? It, it feels like I'm not shocked that the format where you have found both a Splinter Twin and a Delver is the one that you played <laughs> to Mythic. Like there's there's nothing really baffling there. And for for me, it sounds like it's exactly the type of limited format that I would enjoy as well. And that was my experience early. I I do think like Streets has a lot to offer. Uh, I question whether it can offer that for a long period of time, especially with an imbalance. It sounds like there is a, a clear best archetype, at least for now. So that's tough. Uh, it probably deludes this a little bit long term. But I, one of the other things I guess I would say is like, this is a lot to ask. Can you give me your archetype rankings, like where you would prefer to be having now done a bunch of drafts? Is it just you're, you start with blue, white, obviously, but what happens from there? Like, what are your next ups? Or is that an unfair question? Is it just about like, what what does the draft present? I, I have biases. Absolutely. And... Like I said, you know, watching Cho draft, like he's a little bit more willing to go into green than I am, for example. Mm -hmm. He actually likes Selesnia and likes trying to, to get in there and 
part of that, I think, is that he thinks Darling of the Masses is stronger than I think it is. So it's like that's a card that he will take highly, whereas I won't. Like, a card is good. It's just like I'm probably not taking it over a very good blue card, right? So there are, there are things like that. So I'm not going to claim that this is entirely 100% accurate. And I also have a lot of reps on the black decks and a lot of different versions of black decks. And like that could be a podcast episode all on its own because I think that among the archetypes, I mean, you could make the argument for gruel and the treasure setups and the, obviously you have a lot of possibilities with that sort of thing. And I think that there's probably someone out there who has mastered it and knows how to draft the different variations of it and things like that. But I, I am not that person. I've tried it a few times. I think I have a decent handle on it, but I'm not an expert. I'm still kind of like flailing around when I'm actually in the draft in, in the archetype because I'm not sure in what direction I should go. But for the black deck specifically, I've played them a lot. I've won a decent amount with them. Uh, for example, like the last three drafts I did to get the mythic were with Rakdos. And I, I'm, I'm still learning about them. It was like I, I had like this preconceived notion of what I thought the deck was supposed to be doing. And that changed like recently. So is there is there anything you can drop to us that is like a, a, a quick hit on how to improve your black decks? Or God, do you think it's, it's just a type of topic that needs a full episode devoted to it? I, I can try. So, OK, Azorius and Slesnia are number one and number two. I think Azorius is better. Generally, you want to be two colors because they're consistent and the card quality is there. However, there are obviously very, very appealing three color cards. And I'm not even talking about like the broker's ascendancies of the world, but like the the duelist, for example, like you get another double striker to go with your virtuoso. You can just build a theme deck, right? Like security bypasses now in your deck, right? Yep. And Spara's Adjudicators is like the best of that cycle and is very good. And if my deck was kind of medium, I might even just play it in my blue-white deck because of how strong it is. But if you end up picking up some late dual lands and you want to splash them and don't want to have to cast them for seven mana and you get to cast them for five mana, it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe maybe that is worth playing. Maybe it's worth playing like a Broker's Charm or whatever. So I would say stick to two with a splash. Two to three splash cards, probably not much more than that. If you are trying to do the white base beatdown thing, I saw especially some of the sealed stuff, and we'll we'll talk about this in a little bit. Where people were doing like seven six five mana bases, and it's just like I'm a blue white deck, but I also have a civil servant as my six two drop that you probably don't need because like it's a powerful card or whatever. And I just don't like that. Like you can just cut it, play a halo scarab, actually you know, like cut a forest for a Plains or an Island at that point too. And just like be a more consistent deck, especially when your card quality is already high. Like don't sabotage yourself. Right. I, so I very much from the beginning have viewed this format as like a two color with a splash format. It, it is masquerading as a shard format, but it's actually a guild format. Is that fair to say still? Yeah. And it's allied mostly there's, yeah. There, there have been people who've had like some success with Boros and Orzov, but again, white, white is backing you. White is propping you up because yep. you have the connives and uh, the informants and some of the black recursion stuff goes pretty well with it. And then the red aggro cards also go kind of well with it too. So I get why those are successful, you know? But That's cool. I, I like that you're able to stray from the beaten path, even if it is on the back of white. One, one of my first trophies was with Simic, just like 16 land straight Simic. And okay. yeah, Jewel Thief with a bunch of like, bounce and card drawing and flyers like also Sounds very good. good right yeah 
So you can do those things. It's just you miss out on getting like the body droppers and celestial regulators and things like that. So it, and, and the the cross pairing of those colors is maybe a little bit less synergistic, right? Like they they didn't maybe put as much care into what would a Golgari deck look like and should we make this functional or not, which is right. fine. Uh, are we talking about the black decks? Is that what we're we were doing? Ca- yes, we were talking about the black decks. Okay, so... I was making you give me a cheat code for black decks because you know I, I can't be bothered to do the work, so I'm leaving it up to you to just solve it for me right now. I'm trying to think of how how to like sum this up. I think a lot of the things that people think are good are probably fine where it's like yeah you want some some body droppers and like riveteers requisitioner is also pretty solid right you just you want a solid like curve of twos and some threes and you beat down your opponent maybe clear the way with some removal spells and like finish off with some blitz creatures cool there are some things that i experimented with uh sticky fingers for example you familiar with this card i am this one i know red aura Get those beatdowns on. Yeah. R Aura, uh, Enchanted Creature has Menace. When it deals combat damage to a player, make a treasure. When creature dies, draw a card. Maybe not the most appealing card, but one of the things I like about it is that you can play like a two-drop, fingers it up, get in there past their two-drop, and you get a treasure, you can immediately play your three-drop. So it's like the fingers doesn't cost you any mana. Sure. And then if your thing gets killed, whatever. You know, you, you still get to draw a card off it. In the, the treasures archetype, any way to make treasures is usually pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in Rectos, I mean, blitzing stuff can get pretty expensive. And you, you are blitzing, so like your hand is full a lot of time. Eventually, you're going to start drawing into more lands. You know, you're going to flood out. But having the treasures from that is usually pretty good. You have body dropper activations. You have... Maybe some random casualty cards, you know, like if you dig up the body, obviously you want like some treasures to be able to play out your stuff, right? And it just seemed like, well, hey, maybe Sticky Fingers is good. And then people were like, well, maybe I want a one drop so I can like get the party started early, right? So maybe I'll start playing like some gold hounds or whatever. Quickly figured out that the one drops are not good and you don't Mm. need it. And just like fingering a two drop is completely fine. Then I figured out that especially- Nobody clipped that, by the way. Nobody clipped that. Uh, then I figured out that in best of one, especially, like half your opponents are blue and you're just going to get like run out of town on your sticky fingers card. Sure. So there were definitely games where I was like, hey, you know, this card was pretty solid. And then the other half of the games, I'm just like, this this card worked to my detriment in a lot of different ways. So the card is solid. It is playable. It's like potentially even good. But don't play the one drops unless you would otherwise play the one drops. and probably just don't don't play sticky fingers right i'm disappointed but i'll i'll allow it if, if that is the correct move your so, point about just facing blue deck after blue deck makes perfect sense right uh, another random thing is like I, I don't know if this is popular opinion or not but i think whack is better than murder and it's i think it's by a lot and whack is three b sorcery creature gets minus four minus four until end of turn and it costs three less if it targets a white creature it Kills the shield things, and I know I keep harping on this, and I know that it's in all, like on a small subject, subsection of creatures, but when you're a Rakdos or Demir deck, and your creatures are trying to get in on the ground, and they just even play like a 2-2 with a shield, you're kind of bricked. If they play the Duelist, 2-power First Striker with a shield, you're like super bricked, and a, a lot of decks are just white, so like sometimes this costs one mana, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, not a bad discount. Yeah, things like that, uh, you know, especially in the context of the format where it's like a lot of people are white or a lot of people are blue. Maybe you should not be doing like X, Y, or Z. And I think maybe Sticky Fingers is not super popular, but it's just one of those things where you have to set up your your deck to to be good against these things. So yeah, uh, load up on twos. Some of the one drops are fine. I'll get into that later. Load up on twos. Body dropper, requisitioner, mayhem patrol, all quite good. Crooked custodian is fine because it's three power, mm-hmm. which means that it can you know attack through jewel thief or whatever. Not Halo scarab is also fine, but really pretty bad because you're usually not conniving a lot. You don't have uh, splashes very often. You probably don't even have like the two mana to to weave in to make the trigger. So. Uh, you, you do you do what you have to to be able to curve out because again yeah you want to go like creature creature start blitzing things and one of the things that I kept trying to think about with regards to the archetype was just like my body droppers are just so bad always and to to some extent like things like forge boss where it's like oh this is like archetypical staple uncommon like drives you in a direction and it's just like it sucks it just kind of sucks like it's a reasonably sized body and you will trigger it off blitzing things, but you are not a sacrifice deck in the way that you think that you are probably like body dropper is good when it is getting big incidentally, but is also not a good two drop because it's just a two mana two, two for the first couple turns of the game, which then means that it's not very good in combat. So this is really interesting to me. Do you think they like flubbed the structure of the Rakdos deck to not make these cards good? Or do you think it's like correct that these cards are not good? Okay, check this out. The gold commons, four of them are two drops. Regulator's a three drop. Yeah. I think that that's fine. They don't all have to be two drops, you know? The thing that I hate, 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 hate the most about this format is that they have... The common fetches, you're supposed to be two-color allied with a splash. And then you have things like Snooping Newsy. And then you have a Maestro's Theater on turn one. And you're supposed to be fetching your off-color with it. What's what's the solution here? How do you I mean how do you fix this? Make them all three mana cards. Okay. Boom. Done. Like, interesting. I I I get it. Uh, it is cool that it's like, oh, yeah, like here are like these aggressively costed things that like point you in a direction or whatever. But it's just like that that sort of thing is just like a major bug in the format. I like if it is intentional, I cannot fathom the reason why, because it is such a feel bad. And if you play many games of this format, it's going to come up so often and you're going to get so tilted that you can't like curve out the way the format is telling you to, and you can't use the mana fixing in the way the format is telling you to. Yeah. So that sort of thing where it's like, then I look at body dropper and uh, it's just like, uh, okay, you know, grizzly bear. And then like, I want to like take this early because uh, it's, it's what the format's telling me to do. And it looks like it should be super powerful. And then you play the games and it just like sits there, like no attacks, no blocks because you're you're placing this emphasis on it because you see how powerful the card like should be or could be in another format, but just isn't in this one. And I don't think that I'm supposed to be like 
taking it lower than I do. Like obviously I take two drops pretty highly and I'm fine to have body droppers in my deck because they're better than Halo Scarabs, but it's like, I'm not taking it over a Requisitioner. And at this point, I'm not taking it over Mayhem Patrol. And I think that, yeah, that's a bug of the format. It's interesting because I I get like wanting to play with player expectation, right? Like throwing curveballs is good from time to time, but also the vast majority of time, you're supposed to conclude things in a satisfying manner. Like you're supposed to let the players do what they want to with the card. And body dropper missing in the Rakdos archetype feels very, very bad to me. And like something has gone wrong with the construction and basically the the vision of how this limited format is supposed to play out. It's it's also bad that like it it misses in the context of the format. And if the I think if the games were slower or if you didn't play a ton, if your your broker's decks weren't super well refined, like the games go on for a long time. You're like blitzing some stuff. Body dropper goes pretty big. And then you get to like start giving it menace and get in there. Yeah. You know, in a different format that could very well all come to fruition, but that sort of strat is really bad against blue white and the card body dropper, especially is very bad against blue white again, because of run out of town and some uncommon bounce spells that, you know, your opponent won't have on average, but like run out of town is very common. And then even stuff just like with rooftop nuisance, like, tapping it and freezing it after you've like sacked your board away or whatever. It's just like, Oh man, you know, this is, this is such a disappointment. Cause I know that like, this is supposed to be a key part of the archetype in the format. Right. Yeah. And forge boss too. Yeah. Forge boss on its face looks nightmarish to play against. And it, it can be good. Okay. So I think the best way to build the archetype is to, basically like suicidally try to get in damage. But I don't think that that means things like sticky fingers give my card menace because when you get blown out, it puts you down a card and you can't afford that, right? Like, right. You, ha- you have to do a card neutral or right. even card positive if you can find what it is. Yes, do, so. exactly. So it's like start start with your two drops. And again, you know, there, there are situations where having more bodies in play is beneficial and Rakdos has a good one of these in Plasma Jockey, which is a 3-1 haste card with blitz that when it attacks makes a thing not able to block so obviously the more power you have in play the more damage this is capable of doing versus like trading your board away and then you're like oh jockey in for five it's just not very effective so yeah start start with the twos mayhem patrol is awesome because it has menace it doesn't look great to hard cast but i mean it's grizzly bear with menace right like it's not that bad and Yes, you will blitz it a lot of the time, but I think the fact that that thing is going to get in for eight is very, very important. Riveteer's Requisitioner, again, a thing that is easy to block, but they kind of don't want to block it because they're scared of giving Rakdos a treasure, which they can't even really do anything with anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, solidifying this archetype around the blitz cards more than anything makes the most sense. And looking at these, the body drop or the forge boss as add-ons to the blitz theme rather than the core of your setup which is, it's just weird that you focus the theme in the monocolor stuff and not the multicolor stuff. Like the multicolor stuff is the the cherry on top, not the core of it. And that's so strange for a multicolor set. Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe they're not supposed to necessarily be like the cherry, right? Like maybe Body Dropper is not supposed to be your best card, but it's supposed to point you in a direction. And I think generally those cards are supposed to be appealing. And you're supposed to like take them highly because then you you take it and it just like, you know, whether or not this is like a good thing to be doing while drafting or not. I think if you're a beginner, it is nice to just be able to like 
plant your flag and go from there. You know, like yeah, you, you need, have a you game need rails. You need rails. Right. And now in this archetype, it's like, I guess I'll take body dropper sixth or whatever, but I'm not happy about it. It's like you, you start a draft with, I don't know, even just like a mayhem patrol or something out of like a really terrible pack. And it's like, I kind of know where I want to be. Right. Mm-hmm. It's only after playing the format a bunch and looking at mayhem patrol like that, where it's like, okay, this, this is telling me what I'm supposed to be doing, but very, very indirectly, you know, after like hundreds of games right. in the format. Right. Yeah. Uh, other other thing, I guess, about Body Dropper that is kind of frustrating is Fake Your Own Death, where it's really good with the Blitz creatures and is just a fine trick in general, but it's so bad with the Body Dropper itself because then right. you just lose Some up the counters small. that you brought up. Yeah, yeah, that's that's dicey. But okay, so start with twos, hopefully ones that are going to get in, going to connect. If you have a Crooked Custodian on turn two, cast that instead of your Body Dropper because you're going to be happier if it gets killed or gets traded away. It's going to be able to attack through Jewel Thief, not like through it necessarily, but like they'll have to think about whether or not they want to block it, right? And that that is good. And then hopefully you are playing like static sources of damage because if you're just blitzing everyone, it's so hard to deal actual 20, right? So you need something that is sticking in play on turns two and three. And then if you have the capability to blitz things after that, cool. But generally, if it's like, well, my turn four is you know, attack for two and cast plasma jockey or blitz plasma jockey, get them for eight. And then I'm out of gas, maybe depending on what I draw. I, I want to be in the situation where you get to cast the plasma jockey, hopefully, and then like blitz stuff after that. Right. So it's just like you go up the chain, hard casting things that are good as much as you can. And then and start blitzing. Yeah. And then start blitzing. And because of that, one of the cards that, Again, is like I, I know it's meant to work with this mechanic because it does, but it has alliance, so it's a Naya card. Is Witty Roastmaster? Okay, can you give me the text on that one? Two R three two, also a citizen, which is again the green white thing, and alliance. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent takes one damage. Yeah, so very clearly on its face, designed to play with all those tokens. But you're saying not so fast. It's time for this to go ahead and make a difference in the Rakdos decks. <laughs> Cho, I know Cho is firing up a draft because he's just like not. He just called me on Discord. I closed Discord, and then he like it just started ringing on my phone. Uh, so Cho is desperate for the action. He, tell him, tell him to wait. We'll be done soon. He is, and then fiending. I'll I'll have all the information. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> please, please tell me about Witty Roastmaster. No, I, I think your point is salient. You're saying it's it's facially designed to be a Naya card. You see very clearly how this is supposed to combine with token makers, but what it actually wants to do, at least in your best experience, is just be a persistent source of damage for the Rakdos decks to go ahead and close out these games. Right, because when you start blitzing things and your opponent's at kind of a low life total, well, they'll attack you with what they can, start keeping some stuff back, and it's pretty hard for you to get in the last few points of damage. But when you have a bunch of witty Roastmasters... It's actually pretty good, and that that plan actually does work a decent amount of the time, especially if you get to like clear a blocker once so that the the roastmaster actually gets to attack once, you know, or like plasma jockey to clear the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, roastmaster like not a great stat line, doesn't look very impressive, but like burning your opponent out in Rakdos is the way to do it, and to that end, like Forge Boss is not very good. You're getting an extra two off your your blitz things, you know, but the more Roastmaster sources of damage you have, the better each individual one gets. 
Yeah. And Forge Boss is like a bad Roastmaster. Okay. And and that's kind of Forge it. Forge Boss is a bad Roastmaster. That is one I don't think people expected looking at the set. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a weird thing to say. Obviously, you know, curve considerations, it has more toughness, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it's just, I think the, the Rakdos deck needed to be retooled a little bit based on the context of the format where things ended up. Or, or it's yep. possible like maybe Rakdos was weakened a little bit because like on its face, a lot of the cards look really appealing. Yeah, yeah. I think your point about like a draft format that is drafted a few times versus a draft format that's drafted to death, you're, there's very different things you're trying to achieve, right? Yeah, and it, it could just be uh, a matter of like they had 30 people play it three times, which mm. is good to get that information, but you also need, you know, five people someone who, to play someone it. who's living it basically yeah you need five people to play it 15 times yeah so that you can compare those positions makes sense to me the other version of rakdos is just the one that kills all your stuff and so just hard control removal spells all over the place yeah i mean you're you still care about damage you're still gonna kill your opponent with damage you might not even be capable of stabilizing the game entirely but usually with uncommons you do have the capability of putting together a deck that can just grind your opponent out. And the key to that is to have some ways to be able to cleanly one for one with shields. So deal gone bad is a four man instant creature gets minus three, minus three target player mills, three cards. When, when we were building our sealed decks, I was just like, God, this is so clunky and awful. And like, look at strangle and what the hell, like I get that it kills a shield thing, but is this even playable right now? Now I just want one in every deck. And then if you're playing best of three, like I want access to another one in the sideboard because stuff like that is just so important because if your game plan is I'm going to murder and strangle all your stuff and they play a shield creature, it's it's lights out because you have to work really hard for your sources of card advantage. You have them, but they're they're a rarity, you know? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I, I, are there scenarios where like deal gone bad is also your win condition? Like your goal is just leave them six card down and then <laughs> kill everything else? Uh, I mean, against against Demir, they might just kill themselves. Sure, that's a good point. I've seen some decks like that, and I think it's completely reasonable to play like 45 in blue-black decks if your card quality is good and you're not giving up too much if you have a ton of self-mill. Uh, but yeah, th- normally that does involve them going like a little bit too hard. Like maybe they, they dug up the body or rogues gallery like a newsy when they should have just gotten like a two-mana 3-2 or something or they deal gone bad at themselves like an extra time that they didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Normally when that happened to me, I was like, oh, okay, I was a, a little bit careless. Yeah, yeah, you put it on you every time. Yeah, I flew a little too close to the sun, but... I feel that. Like, Rakdos control key cards outside of rares are just Nightclubber or Rafine Silencer, and those cards are awesome on their own. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Both of them deal with things with shield counters on them, which is like also not a coincidence yeah i think they would still be very good right but it's just like wow and this insulates me against like my my biggest threat my biggest weakness and both of those cards with fake your own death are incredible Mm, that is a nice setup for sure so blitz blitz nightclubber it's going to deal with a lot of stuff and the white blue decks have a lot of one toughness stuff and it, it there are so many games where you're just praying, like, don't have Nightclubber, don't have Nightclubber. And then yep. they, they club you, they kill four of your things, and you're just like, well, damn. And yeah, then, I remember seeing Nightclubber in our sealed deck, and I was like, I, I think this is one of the best uncommons in, in the set. Yeah, I, I looked at it, I was like, 
does this does this actually kill a lot of stuff or like do I need to like combo this with like a devil sack or like you know what's what's going on and then just over the course of the day it was like yeah kill your two things draw a card or whatever it was just uh it was just absurd it was like the card I wanted to draw on like turn four turn five every single time yeah and yeah so it by itself is already very good fake your own death on it on five mana to uh get minus two minus two your whole stuff it's like well you know if you're probably killing the rest of their stuff at this point. Yep. GG. And then there's a lot of stuff with Silencer because it keys off of power. When it dies, uh target creature gets minus X, minus X, where X is this thing's power. So fake your own death pumps its power. So if you connive a spell, it's two. You attack into something like an Echo Inspector, fake your own death, it's four power, trades with that. Then it kills like another four toughness thing. And you get to connive again. And at some point you're going to like dig up the body or whatever. Yeah, that's the setup where you're just like all your stuff is dead, and it it just like mostly relies on uncommons though because you can you can strangle and, and murder stuff and then play like demons do, which I think is fine and the format is fast. But if you have a lot of strangles, cheap removals, like two drops that you're interested in blocking in, I think playing a divination to I don't know, just like set you up for future turns, right? It's like you, you want to use all your mana every turn. And if demons do is like, well, you're kind of flooded. So this is going to find you like the two spells to play next turn. Or you're like stuck on lands. And if you find a land, it means you get to double spell next turn. Like demons do just, it it fixes your hand completely and lets you keep playing the game. So I like that a lot. And that's basically, it's, it's playable if you are very aggressive and you know that they're going to be on the back foot and you're going to have time to cast it. Mm-hmm. Or if you're very controlling and have really cheap ways to interact. Yeah, so nothing in the middle, basically. Yeah, if you're just a normal Rakdos deck, probably don't mess with it because you're just trying to blitz Girder Goons until they die. Sure. Uh, other uncommons that I kind of stumbled onto as an engine because I rarely ended up with multiples of them was uh, Unlucky Witness and Fatal Grudge. And uh, Okay. Yeah, it was, it was just like this super cheap engine too where I would like, play a witness, play a two drop, play a three drop. And then just like, okay, grudge the witness, play the land I needed, play my thing. Okay. Next turn, like blitz the thing, dig up the body, get back my witness, you know? And then you're just like sacking witness to uh, more casualty stuff. Uh, Grizzly sigil is obscene. Like, like the lifelink, not lifelink, but like the life gain that you get off of it is really key in a lot of aspects because it allows you to stabilize. We talked about how life lifelink is so good in general and like, yeah, it's just one of the few things that Black has, uh, especially in Rakdos, where it's just like, okay, well, now I'm out of range of a Blitz creature, a Burn spell, a Flyer that they top deck and might hit me for a couple turns or whatever, or you're just, you know, maybe neutral in the race and now you're ahead. The life life gain from that is awesome. It can occasionally to kill kill two things. It can kill some big yeah. stuff. The, the casualty is really low on it. It's super cheap. Card is excellent. And... Yeah, I, I just I ended up drafting this deck that was like two fatal grudges, two witnesses, a dig, a silencer, a fake your own death, and I got to use my mana every turn because all my cards were so cheap and a lot of them provided me card advantage. And I would just like play until like turn ten, spending all my mana with a full hand, just like killing all their stuff and getting in ship shots, and like that was a control deck. That's awesome. I mean, exactly what I would love to be doing in this format. But like you said, it sounds like it is reliant on having some higher rarity thing to sort of form the backbone of it. Yeah, the the upside is like, in normal Rakdos decks, Fatal Grudge is kind of medium. Mm-hmm. And just, I don't know, pe- people like don't, don't take it highly in general, which I, I don't blame them for. Because normally, you know, people have like a random 
one, one lying around or something. But when your deck is like, you know, nightclubber to kill off the small things, and then you get to like fatal grudge, the big thing, that's awesome. Or if you just have a ton of removal and fatal grudge is always killing something reasonable, that's awesome too. Yep. And then unlucky witness is another one where people should take it higher than they do because it's very good, even in a normal Rakdos deck. But I, I regularly see it, you know, like 10th pick or something. So no, I, I love that card. I think it's phenomenal. Yeah, I, they're they're uncommons, they're higher rarity, but if they're opened, you will probably get them. So that is the upside. It, it's really hard to get, you know, two of each, obviously. I don't think you necessarily need two of each, but like it does really make the engine super robust and everything. A, a card that's really interesting to me, and I just want to get your opinion on, you ever do anything with Dusk Mangler? Like, are, are you setting that up a lot of times as a finisher? Or does it have any appeal to you whatsoever? Oh man, Dusk, Dusk Mangler is like an archetype on its own. It it's, seems like it. It's it's cruel ultimatum at uncommon. Yeah, that's that's the way it reads. I actually think it's like probably constructed playable as well, quite frankly. Well, the, the thing is, is that you can reanimate it. Mm-hmm. It's just an ETB trigger. You would expect it to be a cast trigger or something, but it's not. Uh, so things like Graveyard Shift, I mean, if I open Dust Mangler and like wheel a Graveyard Shift, I am going hard. Love it. Love the setup. And if I have a Dust Mangler in my Rakdos deck, Okay, well, maybe I'm playing a Halo Scarab, right? Because the extra treasure actually does do something for me. And you can make a case, like there are definitely decks where I would not play the Mangler, and I have done that. And again, uh, part of, you know, playing on ladder in a format where blue-white is really good, when, once I got to like five wins, I I just like cut Dusk Mangler from, from one of my Rakdos decks because I was always yeah. playing against aggro blue-white decks. I could see that. Not that it's bad against them. It's just like the way my deck was set up. Like I couldn't live that long, you know, but yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. They just kill you before it matters. Yeah. I, either you are trying to play a controlling game until you get to this thing. And then uh, since you're the control deck, you are probably on the back foot. You're almost certainly going to have to sacrifice or discard rather than pay for life, but that's fine. This is a thing that like gets their last trick. Maybe gets their last big threat that you couldn't get rid of. Haha, ha, Shield counters. Or can can just like really turn the tide of a race too with the the four damage because like that's a lot of burn too and that's one of the things that I'm talking about where it's like yeah, yeah the lifelink matters because there are some ways to actually like close out a game like that mm-hmm. so it's not necessarily great in every deck but uh, if I if I do get it I'm looking to build around it because it is that powerful but there are definitely reasons to get off it as well so looking at it in the controlling Grixis and uh, Rakdos decks, more so Grixis than Rakdos, because I think I end up more aggro than control a lot of the time. Yeah. And then if you end up in Orzov or Golgari or like Rule Treasures and can splash this reliably, it's like those are fine places for this thing too. Nice. Love to see this card finding a home. Yeah. And I mean, even like once you cast it, it's really good and has a dramatic effect on the game, right? The, the best thing to do is to... Like you can discard it early and then either reanimate it or just like dig it up when you're ready or rogues gallery when you're ready yep. or something. But even once you get it in play, then you can try and set it up with fake your own death, either to sacrifice it or to just get it involved in combat. And then that's that locks it up. Pretty incredible stuff for an uncommon. Like like you said, this stat line, what it does feels way more akin to at least a rare, if not like something even beyond that just in terms of output obviously it's a lot of hoops to jump through but that's a huge swing from an uncommon yes i mean some of the uncommons in the set i mean uh looking at uh mythic spoiler because i wanted to 
you know, see like more cards on the page at once versus Scryfall. I definitely prefer Scryfall. But uh, things next to Dusk Mangler, Vampire Scrivener. There's no way in hell you know what this card is. Nope. Uh, uncommon, 4B22, Creature Vampire Warlock, Flying. When you gain life during your turn, put a counter on this. When you lose life during your turn, put a counter on this. Okay. What the hell is that doing in the set? No idea. Couldn't even guess. Is, is it good? Is it playable? I, my opponent cast it against me for the first time yesterday. Okay. They died that turn. I, <laughs> you know, you, you, you see this and I'm like, well... Can I just like play a bunch of tavern swindlers and just get to flip in and make my vampire scrivener that's real the big? Joke. And like, yeah, yeah, that's that's not good though. Like, you you do all this work and you still don't have anything good to be made from it. So the funny thing is, is tavern swindler is another one of those cards. Like, what the hell is that doing here? I don't know. I, I don't have an answer for you. I understand it fits the theme in the set. Okay, cool. Right? There's definitely a tavern swindler on Ravnica, just as there is uh, one on Capenna. Absolutely. But just in the context of the set, it's just like, what the hell is this? And it's just like, okay, it combos with the Scrivener, I guess. But, uh, you know, like there are some cards that work with it, but uh, Syndicate Infiltrator is the Demir Uncommon. Mm. Like, wow, four mana, five, five flying. And it's just like, it's not even better than Echo Inspector if you're blue-black. Yeah, you got to work real hard for some of these. Just so. big body. At, at four mana, it's kind of reasonable, you know, because you're definitely getting what you pay for. At five mana with the fact that it gets bricked from the common though is so so bad. Like that it's so frustrating. Uh which common? Uh Echo Inspector. Oh yeah, I mean, just, just I mean, like off, three, off the gates, yeah. I mean it's yeah. it's really not hard to turn on threshold if you draft around it. No, I, I believe that. It's it's easier than I thought it would be for sure. But it's just like, yeah, the nuisances and the the witness card and Hold for answer. It's, it's not hard to get rid of like a big thing that doesn't do anything else. At least if they get yeah. rid of your Echo Inspector, you like connived and now you have a counter on your thing to put on your fishes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, things like Vampire Scrivener, it's, it's already like, okay, even if this was a five mana 8-8 eight, eight flyer, like <laughs> would this be in my deck? And probably not. And it's just like, I don't know what these abilities are. And then stuff like Public Enemy is another one. It's like this weird aura where they have to attack you. Yeah, that that is the other card where I'm like, is this just supposed to be in the commander set? Like, did they misplace this? Yeah, and try to get it to do something else. Yeah, so it's it's kind of funny. So some of the cards where I, I've I've played a lot of stuff, I've played like a lot of the really fringy cards because I'm like, this is hella good in my deck, or I got this like early enough that I get to kind of build around it or whatever. And then, yeah, there's some cards like these where I'm just like, I can't really imagine a scenario other than desperation where I would want to put right. this in my deck. Yeah, I'm just totally lost here. Uh, and then, I I mean, like, Grixis is the other, like, kind of rakdos deck, but it's generally blue-black. I mean, sometimes your red-black splash some stuff, especially if you're controlling and have kind of that setup, and you start doing a lot of the stuff that I was talking about, except clunkier with, like, Corpse Appraiser. Maybe you have Hostile Takeover, which is obviously very good. It's not like, you know game over and the game 100% of the time like you would think it is but it is enough of the time that it's very good yeah I I just fear that card at all times I'm, I'm always like uh, I'm gonna get swept it's gonna happen and it seems to never come to fruition but uh it, it's always looming on my mind play I mean playing games with with Josh it's he gets so far ahead and he's just like okay so now if they have nightclubber plus fake your own death I guess I'm playing this you know four mana three toughness thing instead of this you know, five mana, two toughness thing, even though the five mana thing is like more powerful or whatever, mm-hmm. just because I'm so far ahead. This is the only way I can lose. Right. And it's like, 
would they have clubbered me last turn if they had it? Yes. Would they have used fake your own death if you had it? Yes. But like, I get to play around this for free, so I'm going to do it. And uh, a lot of the situations are like, okay, so I guess if they have hostile takeover, like this is what, because like you're winning the game so hard <laughs> by that yeah. point. You just, no, that happened even even like our day one experience. We had to do that quite a few times where you're just like putting together the worst case scenarios because there are worst case scenarios that could definitely blow you out. Yeah. And sometimes you don't get to play around it, you know, and that's fine. We've done that too. We're just like, well, if they have it, uh, I don't think like sandbagging this 2-2 is going to make a difference. So I'm just in right. there. You know, some uh, they have had it some of the times. I really like those scenarios where you're just like weighing, you know, how far to extend. I, look, I see some flaws in streets, but I will say that in my experience, it does a lot to present novel thought patterns that remind me of Magic 10 years ago. Yes. And I think that's why it has appealed to me so much. Like There's it, a it's lot got, of them, too. Yeah. And it's got it's got a lot of the problems that I see in present day magic but it's got a lot of those great things rolled up back in it too and it's, it's just good to like have moments I, I, in some ways like streets has provided me that authentic draft feel that i haven't felt from any of these other sets even if it's in brief doses and even if i see big problems with the format so i, I appreciate it for that a lot i i've really enjoyed building the seal decks and drafting the decks and then Playing the games is not great, but it's still fine. And like I said, you have a lot of decisions to make early. So normal limited is like, I play my thing and then you take your turn and you think for a while and like, I'm bored already. And like, okay, you play your thing. And then I do my straightforward thing. And then you think for a little while. And it's just like, God, get me out of here. Like, this is so boring. At least playing the games is not boring. Yeah, I agree. I started playing the set because we played the team sealed and it was fun. And I think that maybe that could have happened with like Neo and stuff like that too. But the reason that I kept playing after I got home and spent like three days playing limited is like that. I, I do enjoy this. Even if, if some of the stuff is frustrating, you know, it's just like the rest of it is so good that I will keep coming back. That's good. I, I think it's just awesome to hear that you found that in this limited format. And maybe I should have opened this, this, the show with that because, uh, I don't know. I I feel like people are pretty down on this format and I, I, I get it hundred percent. I totally understand why you're just like, I would rather go play historic or whatever than, than do this. But I also think that it's, it's maybe valuable to like see the perspective of someone else and look at it from a way that you hadn't thought about before, because I I mean, obviously the things that are going to appeal to me aren't going to appeal to everyone, but like I have, literally not seen anyone else with the same take as me for like the, you know, the reasons why they like this format, or maybe it's just like information overload and they don't like the format as a result of it. But yeah, maybe I dip, you can sum it up with different strokes for different folks, right? Like everyone's always going to have their own things they appreciate. And these sets tickle our brain in different ways. Uh, and like I said, as you talk through this, I, I see the reason why this one has appealed to you. It's very clear. Dude, it's, it's, it's so deep, even though it's like, yeah, you're dead on turn four. You know, <laughs> the illusion of depth, right? It's like fake aggro, false temple, tempo. Kind of, but like yeah. the, dude, the depth exists when you're drafting and when you're yeah. building your seal deck and when you're deciding what to drop to play and whether or not you block on turn three, you know, it's, it's just like those decisions in magic usually get kind of like punted down the road. It's like, I made this decision, but I don't see the outcome of it. And for this, it's mm. like you get immediately punished on the next turn. Welcome to streets, you know? And I like that. It's just like, it's cool. It's, yeah, I think, I think it is cool. It just gives me like an immediate payoff for the things that I just did. No, that's really good. And, and you talk about like, 
the variants and non-games being baked into to Magic, if if that's something you are on board with and have accepted, then you appreciate the decisions where like you are front-loading those. Sometimes the best you get is a micro edge, right? Like that's what you're supposed to do is find that micro edge, give yourself a chance to succeed. My beef with some of the recent formats is that you don't even get that micro edge, right? right? It's just like, here's my thing. Hope it's good enough. If you're giving me a micro chance to swing things a little bit in my favor and, you know, a micro chance for my opponent to go ahead and leak a little bit of value and open the door for me. Awesome. That that's, you know, all I can ask for from a limited format. Yeah, but this is I I I really regret not taking Halo Scarab over Metropolis Angel or I regret taking that replaceable two drop over a dual land yeah. when I spent some time getting, you know, mana screwed or whatever. And I, I live for, for those decisions, especially when I get to see the results of them because, yep. you know, I can think that I made the right choice or whatever, but like when you, when you just straight up kind of like tell me where it's like, yeah, you know, the, you do this the right way the next three times and you see the difference, it's like, hell yeah. Nice. For, for Grixis, it's blue-black base. Sometimes you are a newsie, sometimes you are not. No one, no one really wants the newsies. So you get them kind of late. I think it might be possible that uh, people will figure out that like blue black aggro is a thing that you can draft if like white is getting taken or whatever and Newsy is a key part of that. So maybe that will stop being a thing. But yeah, between Newsy and connive, uh, discarding for value or like milling yourself for value is awesome. I like Maestro's Initiate probably better than anyone else that I've seen, which is just like a five mana catalog from your graveyard. Mm hmm. And just yeah, played that card quite a few times myself, and I haven't played that many games, so that tells you my yeah, opinion on it. Yeah, just don't run out of gas. It doesn't matter if you only use it in like sixty percent of your games or something. You know, it's like yep. the sixty percent. It matters. Expendable lackey having like the one one body uh, to either chump things, win races, or sack to casualty is awesome. I really the, like the fish are so good. The fish are just so yeah. Good. The fish are solid too. Uh, they they got some nightclubber problems, but so does everyone. Yep. So whatever. Having some amount of filtering in general, I really like because my blue black decks, again, I guess I'm just going to say this all the time and hope that it eventually sinks in is just like, use your mana every turn. I'm not kidding. Not kidding. Also, general rule of like magic, card games, anything is life. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna trans. I'm gonna make this transferable to life. You ready? Okay. If on turn four you have the ability to play a four drop or two two drops, and it's like the two two drops adds like one extra power to the battlefield, I don't care. Play the four drop. Mm-hmm. Contextual, of course. The reason for this is that on the next turn, when you have you five mana, what's that? You get a three and a two. You have more options. More options. Exactly. And I, I think a lot of people are just like, what impacts the board the most this turn? And sometimes having more options gets rolled up into finding ways to spend all of your mana every turn. Because if you're like, all right, on turn four, I'm going to play two twos. And then next turn you have like a four and a three or whatever. Well, now you have a floating mana that just didn't accomplish anything. Or if you played like a four and then a two and a three, and then like next turn you draw four and you can play the four and the remaining two or whatever you're you're so much better set up than you were before. So when you think about it, like on subsequent turns, I will have more options and that is a net good thing, even if it means I miss a point of damage this game. Again, contextual, you can do the math, figure out if the point like is definitely going to matter or not, right? 
but do the thing that leaves you the most options generally. And usually getting the expensive clunky cards out of your hand first are, it's just the easiest way to do that. And you know how like the AIs have been starting to learn like chess and magic and things like that, right? Yep. And they're good. They're hella good. Basically the thing that they default to always is like if a play is close or even if a thing is slightly worse, they will do the one that leaves them more options. Always. Makes sense. I Like you said, I think it applies to all games, life. Just don't close off your options. I, and there are a few things I love more in Magic than just good mana maximization. I love that feeling of just, I found somewhere to put each and every point of my mana and it paid me dividends over the course of many turns. It's not something you see manifest right away. Like you said, sometimes even stunts your growth on an individual turn, but over the long term, that's what gets you the edge. Yeah, so mention this kind of what demons do where it's like, well, I could play a three drop and play the board or I can fire this off and like play a three and a two next turn versus like playing a three and then playing a two missing my land drop, having this demons do in my hand while I'm taking like more damage, you know, fire off the do, suck it up, eat the damage. You know, you can, you can live at six life, right? Like, you know, six is not zero and you're, you're going to make it up. I promise you that's a four mana card that is hard to weave in, right? Things like uh tainted indulgence or a little chat are so easy to weave in with what you're mm-hmm. doing especially if you're doing what I'm talking about where you're you're playing your five on five instead of your two and your three, right? Because on the next turn, you're just like, all right, two, two, leave open little chat and they kill your thing or you have a corrupted court official or whatever. And then that gives you maybe two spells for the next turn. You get to use your mana again. I love having these cards and I love being like pretty low to the ground and rooftop nuisance and the the lackeys that you discard and stuff like that. Like they... They keep your hand full. They keep you kind of like gassed up. They give you plenty of things to do with your mana. And that will eventually translate into like you having a better position than your opponent. I th- The Demon's Do example is so, so good because I think it can really be distilled down into a, a very compact piece of advice for this format in life. And that is do the do. Uh, I was, <laughs> do you know, you know, the Baby Shark song? I've actually never heard it. I'd like to keep it that way, I think. But you know it's but Baby I, Shark, yes, do, I, do, 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 do. Yes, I know what yeah. you're referring to. I'm yes. mostly, I think I heard it once, but I kind of like forget how it actually goes. Okay. But it doesn't matter. Whenever I, I like pass with four mana and I have a demon's do, it's in my head. Okay. And now it's in Josh Show's head and he doesn't like Good. it. I'm, I'm glad you've ruined it for him. And now I hope it's in a lot of other people's heads, but. It certainly is. People, people don't play demon's do as much as I do, so. So you get to live that moment much more than they do. It's yeah, it's it's like more of a me thing, which is fine, you know. It's just it's just kind of weird. I can't I can't necessarily brainworm everyone, but I yeah, I mean there's a reason why I'm playing like Demons Do and Maestro's Initiate in all my decks, and it is just like use your mana every turn. Yeah, you have a vision for how you want to play the format, and it sounds like a very successful vision. Yeah. So I'm um, I'm looking forward to cribbing that and applying it to my own gameplay. Funny thing is that connive obviously wants you to discard spells, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're like, all right, connive card, connive card, connive card, discard spells, I'm playing a 17 land deck. That probably means that you're you're going to end up flooded, you know? So yeah. at some point, you're either going to have to start discarding lands because you're like, well, crap, I actually need this spell. Or you find things to like discard for value and you, you use your mana with things like the lackeys and then you make up for like the card advantage with things like a little chat or a rooftop nuisance or something. And 
Maestro's Initiate is just like the perfect card for those scenarios because you're like, all right, you know, I'm I'm going to play my best spells, pitch my worst ones, have some ways to use my mana out of the graveyard, and Initiate like keeps you gassed up. Like, yeah, it's slow, but uh, presumably no, it's, it's a it's a sick piece of glue though. It, it, it fills is. in so many spots on the curve on your game plan. I. I love cards like that. I, it might actually be my favorite card in the set, quite frankly. I, I don't think it's the best card. I don't think, think it's uh, you know the headline card, but it just fills so many roles so well. I, I may have said that straight up to Josh like yesterday. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. Uh, so yeah, uh, Newsy, some card advantage, hopefully cheap stuff. Use your mana every turn. Play either like a nuisance tempo style deck if you can get it, usually you want to be blue, black and like not splash because you just want to be as consistent as possible. But if you're Grixis, you just want like, you know, strangles and murders and deal gone bads and Rafine silencers. But like you kill their important stuff. And then hopefully you are also either like bricking their tutus with Newsy mm-hmm. or you're able to attack and like gain some life and kind of like, you know, fake aggro them that way where eventually you're going to kill them with like a dusk mangler or a croc or whatever once they stabilize from the Newsies. Yeah, sounds perfect. Perfect plan. It's not. <laughs> there's there's a lot of stuff that goes wrong when you're like Grix is trying to kill everything. Yeah, shield counters, fishes. But when it whatever. goes right, though, it, when it, it feels very perfect. When it goes right, you're just like, I have the busted like Odyssey limited deck yep. of all time, right? Because you just have like card advantage, removal, life gain, evasion. No one can beat you. But in, Like an OG. Yeah. Just, you know, magic is meant to be played. And yeah, there, there are some specific ways that you need to, to draft your deck. Uh, there are some things like Cormella Glamour Thief. You know this card? Nope. Uh, one Not by name, anyway. One and some Grixis mana, so four mana total. Uh, two, four, uncommon, legendary creature, vampire, rogue, haste. Uh, when this dies, return up to one instant or sorcery from mm. the graveyard to your hand. One tap, add Grixis, spend this mana to only cast instant sorceries. It's like, wow, you can like dig up the body with this thing and like, just kind of like go infinite. And it's like, well, one, you're going to deck yourself. Uh, two... Yeah. That sounds like something I'd be very into. Yeah, I mean, dude, been there, done that. Yep. Eventually learned my lesson. I, I don't even really play Cormella anymore. She's just like not a great splash card because doesn't stabilize you a ton, comes down, fixes your mana. Like, is is a mana accelerator when you're spell heavy, which is cool, but is generally just like not worth splashing because the engine part of things, you're like, all right, I'm going to, Dig up the body away, Cormella, get back my dig, return Corpse Appraiser, Newsy, and just like you're dead. You just lose the game. Uh, yeah, I, again, that strikes me as like kind of a failing. Like I, I want to be able to do those things. And you can. They're there for a reason, right? You can, you just can't go super hard on it. But all the cards mill you. So you're, at some point you just have to say, no thanks. Enough is enough. I will not play the third Corpse Appraiser because I need these three Newsies to keep me alive, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but... Yeah, Cormella just, it's supposed to be like this Grixis card that fits in the archetype or whatever and helps you grind with dig up the body. What Don't do not do it. I, I'm sure there is a time and a place. I have not found one where I'm just like, this is right. Like, this is the thing that I'm supposed to be doing. Okay, good to know. You just saved me a lot of losses. I promise you that. Yeah, so uh, every color where, you know, look at look at Esper, right? Like, uh, you have uh, Kaza, Obscura Charm, Nimble Larcenist, the Angel, Obscure Interceptor, Voidrend. It's like, wow, yeah, these are all like splashable cards, right? Nimble Larcenist is not good on the splash. When it connects, it's awesome, but you're not going to reliably do that. Most of the time, mm-hmm. it's going to be like a turn six, two one flyer for three mana that's hard to cast. 
Obscure Charm, you take it over everything if you have Rafine in your deck, and that's it. Otherwise, you are trading even on mana. It's just not even a good card. No, it, it's not. I was very wrong about this card. I I, I think you're right, and then it's like, oh, refer, return my Teferi, you know? Like, that's not bad. I thought it was going to be good and limited, too, though. I'm, yeah. I'm referring more to, like... Well, actually, I, I guess I was right no, we, because I we, I didn't start it yeah, in my deck. Yeah, you yeah. you were blue-white. You had a light black splash. You did not play Obscura Charm. I played Nimble Larcenist over it, actually. It was the switch I made at the last second. And I, I said straight up that if it was Obscura Charm, I think I would have lost two of the games I won. Yeah, so. and, and that's fine if it's just like, okay, I get to play a splash card. And what like what was your actual splash? Uh, I think it was starting on Larcenist. Oh, you had, I had the you had Esper, like Big Angel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like, okay, I'm going to play the Angel because it... It's good. Yeah, it stabilizes me. I like having a top end and sealed, whatever. And then it's like, at that point, you have some dual ends. You have some black mana. You can play one Esper card almost for free. Yeah. At that point, I think you can get the Larcenist in your deck. Yeah, it, w- it was in there. It was it was good. Uh, I, I do think that was my only splash, though. The other thing was like the lands and being able to play the sack lands and draw cards, which was actually critical in my deck. And again, just plays into that whole theme of like, use your mana every turn i had i had two of the esper lands so splashing actually unlocked being able to use my mana every turn and yeah and you had a lot of connive yep a lot of connive so it, it was it was a very good splash even if it was very light oh i, I had a void rend as well oh yeah I, the void rend i think was the one card where it's like should we play this and it's like well but i get the angel and then yeah at that point it's like well i can also maybe play this larcenist if i want yep. and, and it fit the theme so yep. it's fine but yeah like keza Interceptor is very good. Voidrand is just replaceable. It's, I mean, I agree. Th- I there agree. are, dude, there are so many enchantments that you, you are maybe going to have a bad time because you're going to get like rabble rousing and fight rigging and brokers ascendancy and just be like, this sucks. So Voidrand is definitely more versatile in that regard uh, compared to like murder or whatever. If you're straight Esper, it's easier to cast. But it's replaceable, you know? It's not like, oh, wow, like, I really want this in my Esper deck. And Grixis is kind of like that, too. It's like Hostile Takeover, Corpse Appraiser is really good, Maestro Charm is solid. But then there's some stuff like Cormella or, like, you know, the Ascendancy is very hit or miss. Mm -hmm. Maestro Diabolist is generally very good, but it's like you need some casualty stuff. Ideally, you're casting this early, which is not the easiest to do, you know? And this is pretty consistent through a lot of the colors you know like jund has like the charm uh Zeotora's envoy unleash the inferno is solid again because they're like having having a disenchant is like actually kind of nice more so in yep. sealed than draft i think it's like more likely that in a sealed pool you're going to open a busted enchantment and then if you do it's going to be in your deck somehow right that's like the boulders kind of whatever crew captain is definitely just not very good but I, I see people just like playing these cards just because it's like, hey, it's a gold card and the set's telling me to play it. And I sort of don't like that aspect of it. Yeah, it's misleading for sure. It's a scam. And like I said, I, I think you're supposed to pay off expectations, not really fly in the face of them. And I am curious how intentional it is as, as far as the setup. It, it's weird, but it's been fun. So I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it uh, maybe it's fun for us because we like can recognize that it's a scam. But where you're like just getting scammed over and over, it's a really bad experience, right? Well, I, I did get scammed immediately because I was like, yeah, Cormella, like you know, it fits the theme, right? And like you can go infinite with dig, and then it's just like this is like bad to splash. The body's not super relevant. Uh, I just end up like killing myself if I'm not really careful. And the other gold cards are just better. It's just like yeah. 
I, I realized it, but I definitely put it in my decks enough times to where I just like felt bad. Mm. And I don't like that aspect of it. And yeah, this, the set is telling you like, Oh, you're Jund. Well, play the crew captain. It's what you want to be doing. It's like, what the hell? Like a, no, it's not. And B, this isn't even good. Weird curveball for sure. So be careful with that stuff. Camaretti ascendancy is another one where I've had a cast against me so many times. And I just, I, I think that people put in their deck because they're told to, and then they just brick a bunch. It's a, it's a rare. Yeah. And, and they're just like unhappy about it. And they don't necessarily learn the lesson. Maybe they're, you know, they're not playing the format even all that much. Right. But I like having the moments where, you know, you, you, say you build your deck like straight three colors or something. And then you're like, Oh, I got mana, mana screwed. And maybe I should be focusing more on like the body dropper side of things versus like the crew captain side of things. And like, that's a good, like learning and level up moment, right? Where you're like, Oh, I figured out like two colors with a splash is better. Yeah. But then it's just like, yeah, Naya rare, put it in your deck. Isn't it so cool? And then it's just like, you just constantly lose because you have it in your deck. It just sucks. I, I am definitely looking forward to like uh, I mean I guess we don't really get these the the theoretical like more dog patch notes where you run down what went right what went wrong in this limited set I, I would love to hear how they feel about it in retrospect yeah I would love that uh I had a thing I wanted to say about gruel I think key key to this archetype key to like one version of this archetype and one that I've been able to draft somewhat regularly and to some success is especially on arena right now you're gonna get jetmere's fixer like last pick not always but like with enough regularity that you're like huh you know because <laughs> mm-hmm. again it looks appealing but people have learned it's just like yeah this is kind of a scam and if i, I like yeah green red is open but there's a reason it's open and it's because if i take the cards i'm gonna lose but the the key to success is a lot of jetmere's fixers a card is, is solid. It's not like, oh, run away with the game. This is awesome kind of thing. Uh, but it's better than your other twos in a lot of instances. And then you just do like the normal red green stuff. You're like, yeah, I got some jewel thieves and some strangles and I'm trying to beat you down, maybe ramp a little bit, maybe have some treasure synergies. The thing that I found is like, you just flood out and like pumping Jetmere's Fixer is not good mm. enough. And the, yep. the thing that I want to do in those instances is Riveteer's Charm, Courier's Briefcase, Unlucky Witness, if you have some way to enable it. Oh, oh, this is if if Maestro Initiate is not my favorite card in the format, this is Rob the Archives. Rob the Archives. Okay. I'm gonna have to see if I actually just don't know this card. All right. Or this is this is maybe a constructed card. Uh 1R sorcery, casualty one, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play those cards this turn. Yeah, this card blew me up a few times, actually. Okay. Uh, there is there is some potential value here. So casting it for two with no casualty on like turn five is fine. And I think it's it's pretty solid in a lot of decks if you think you're going to be able to like weave that in while also being able to like play a thing. The first time you can casualty this is like turn seven, maybe. Otherwise, you're just like throwing a bunch of cards away, right? Like you're throwing yeah. away your board position. Going pretty far down the road. But in the treasures deck where you're just like, I have a lot of two mana cards and strangles and like cheap stuff. And like, yeah, maybe you have a big thing. Maybe you're lucky enough and you get like Titan of Industry or something, right? But it's like, you end up with like seven mana and some magician that made a treasure or... Uh, an unlucky witness or something and you just look at a bunch of cards and like that's how you beat people 
Like you said, card advantage is super limited in this format. So is that a tremendous hoop to jump through? Yes, absolutely. Is there a way to make it work? You do what you got to do. Yeah. If that's what you got to do, you you push through, you find a way. I also think it's like intriguing with a deck with super low mana costs when you talk about it, like having constructed applications. So something that has just fodder that floats around and to the late game, you turn it into four cards. Well, especially if there's ever like burn spells. That's that's actually frightening. Yeah. I mean, I'm not big brain enough, but uh, one of the cards I've had my eye on a lot is Infernal Plunge, I think. Is the- yeah. Yeah. Sacrifice creature, three red. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, well, if there's, you know, like a fetch Dryad Arbor Storm deck or like a Memnite Storm deck, it's like, well, Rob, Dude, I, Rob the Archives I've is doing the same so stuff. So many times. I know. So usually with like Beck and Call. And like it's it's a disaster. I don't know why I do this to myself, but I have I have built the infernal plunge combo deck so many times, and there's even been moments where I'm like, oh my god, I did it, and I'm like, no, I didn't do it. Yeah, but I'm like Rob the Archives does the same thing. Now you just need ways to like generate the bodies that doesn't suck, and yeah. unholy or unlucky witness is a step in the right direction too. For sure, a lot of options there. So I don't know, maybe it's there, or or it's just like there's like the mono red storm decks and legacy that have ruby medallion, where I, I think the Rob the Archive type of cards are already something they're playing. It's just like, is there a way to to get a body to sack to this? But regardless, uh, Gruel deck is like curve out, try and beat them down. That's going to fail. You're, <laughs> you are going to fail hard. This is a very good Gilded Pinions deck for what it's worth because Jetmir's Fixer on D is actually fine as long as you have like bled out all of your like nuisances and tricks and stuff beforehand. But like sometimes the, the game does stalemate or you know you've just spent the game like making treasures from various things and then you're like boom look at the top four cards of my deck play out all my spells maybe like kill some of your stuff and like now i'm so far ahead that like hey maybe i get the alpha strike twice or something good simple magic as dr garfield intended yeah with a few more treasures tacked on so that's that's about it the the green white stuff is good green red is bad simic is okay golgari like in theory is just you know like creatures and removal spells and stuff but i've seen some of those be successful but not by a lot so yeah green is just not something i'm super excited about like jewel thief is awesome but a lot of the commons that are not gold i just don't want anything to do with so that's that's kind of the problem a little too contextual to use reliably i think especially like a lot of the fight stuff where in scenarios where it's good it's very good a lot of downside tacked on though. Yeah, like the, the two drops are just very replaceable in the format. It's like, is is it that big of a deal if you have a Halo Scarab or a Civic Gardener or whatever? It's like, yeah, you get extra toughness and maybe some uh, citizen ability things or whatever. Sometimes you can like play a tap land and untap it. Sometimes the vigilance matters. You're untapping a thing that they like slept with the fishes or rooftop nuisance. Like that happened to me more than once, right? But it's just like... Mm. I don't know. I mean, most of the time it's just like Halo Scarab is kind of the same thing. So I'm just, I'm never in green because of that. Well, we'll leave all the green to Cho and he can use his bladed pinions to great effect in that scenario. And the rest of us will go play. Uh, I, I mean, I, I am hopeful that I just get to keep in my lane doing blue white stuff in my sealed pool. That would be nice. I don't know how many bullets I'll fire. I can't see myself firing off a large amount, especially that I know uh, there's the, best of three version of the format coming up and it's possible depending on my schedule that i could get in some more reps prior to that so i I imagine one or two bullets will be my plan uh for this friday event see if we can get in that qualifier yeah compete in an arena championship 
Yeah. Which there, there's one of those going on this weekend, by the way. Did you know that? I did know that. I was, I was considering doing like a, a co-stream of it again. Yeah. Uh, Cause I mean, that was what kickstarted me streaming in the first place. And then it, yeah, it kind of dropped off. So I was like, well, that'd be a good reason to do that. But I think I'm actually just going to be playing in these events. So. Uh, well, what if you win right away, though? I mean, if I win right away, then yeah, like maybe I can fire up. A can we can we get you on record that if you win the first one, you will then immediately start a co-stream? No, because I'm still going to be on Discord with Show. Okay. So if we both win one, what if you bo- if you both win the first one, will you then commit to uh, co-stream? Yeah, if we both if we both win the first one, I will do that. But it it also takes a lot of time because we're normally like staggering our builds and our our games and stuff and like watching each other. Yeah, that makes sense. Can I can I talk about sealed real quick too? Sure, I would I would love you to talk about sealed. I, I know that we're at the two hour mark and everything, but I did say that I would do this. So, uh, thing thing that I mentioned earlier is like played in the arena open and looked at the the winning list that people were posting on Twitter, and I could see why a lot of those decks were winning. Where it's just like, yeah, your your card quality is pretty good. You have a bunch of dual lands and mana fixing and stuff. But it's just like some of them were like 16 lands. They were playing. They were kind of like splashing the civil servant kind of thing that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like your, your card quality is high. You're probably not going to get flooded. These are definitely things that matter in the format. But also, I, I swear to you, your win rate is going to be better if you don't do that. Uh, what do you think of the average limited player you've come across on Arena? I mean, it's hard to say because you don't know their hand, right? But of course, I, I definitely play against a lot of folks where I'm like, yeah, I, I would have not considered drafting my deck in this way or like I would not have that card in my deck or whatever. But I, I don't see people, you know, make mistakes. And I think for the most part, I'm playing against people who are evaluating the game state the right way where they're just like, yes, I am. I am the aggressor here. I am racing. I have the tools to win this, you know, and there are definitely some some things in there where it's like they are maybe taking a little bit of extra damage, not not blocking mm-hmm. when they should because, you know, they think that they're winning the race normally. But it's like, well, me getting in that three plus me having rooftop nuisance uh, and then like another three from this creature that didn't die is like enough to turn it where it's like you could have played around that. So like sometimes those those uh, kind of like judgment calls happen. But I think for the most part, you know, people know what they're doing when they play the games. Good. That's really good to hear. But yeah, I mean, obviously, like you you play a lot of the format, you get the reps in. I think it's pretty easy to internalize the flow of the games and even just be able to play on autopilot pretty well for the most part. Where you actually have to stop and think about things are the actual decision points for like, how am I supposed to be building my deck? How am I supposed to be drafting? Like what is what is my deck supposed to look like? Am I getting cut off from white or yeah, I'm blue black, but blue looks light. It's possible I'm getting cut off. Maybe I should take like a speculative red card over maybe like a more mediocre blue card just to be able to to pivot potentially. And like mm. I've had that happen in a lot of my drafts too. I think honestly, dude, I wish I had the the draft cap from the arena open. Like I should honestly download some of that stuff because I think I I handled that draft so well and I ended up in like the unlucky witness fatal grudge deck when I've I've never drafted a deck like that before. And I think it's just like one of the best decks I've drafted in the format. And nice. the way that I got into that deck was like, I think I'm blue black and then I took a fatal grudge like fifth pick pack one where it's like, that's not even a good bridge card necessarily, but it's like, 
the pack is medium. The card I could have taken that was quote unquote on color was very replaceable. And I was like, yep. this could maybe have high power level. And I think that maybe this is where I'm supposed to be. And I just ended up being in there and my deck was busted. And, you know, it was just like, I, I honestly think I handled that draft super well and I just don't have it on paper. And I wish I did. Replacement value might be one of the oh god uh, talk about biggest that. level ups you can make talk about in that. the limited game and I, I think it's the thing that I, I am actually best at like just seeing okay yes this card is better but if I get this other card which is clearly worse it opens up this other possibility and it's irreplaceable as far as opening that possibility goes whereas I will get another two drop from my deck and this one being slightly better will not matter in the long term but having this option which may only manifest one out of ten times. That's what makes you a successful limited player over the long term. I think when I was drafting well or drafting poorly, I could usually tell uh, just like over uh, an era or a format or something, right? Not necessarily Mm -hmm. like any individual thing, but certainly over a format where I'm just like, I am doing this badly and I'm losing a lot of games and I look at my decks and it's just like, I have just like a lot of P from like the 18th to the 23rd playable. And that usually means a few things that could mean that the packs are weak. And certainly you can be the judge of that after the fact and just be like, I honestly didn't even see any good cards. Right. And that'll happen sometimes, but usually it means you're in colors that you're not supposed to be, or you don't know what your deck is supposed to look like. And in, in formats like this, where you do the reps, you, you get enough, uh, drafts under your belt and you start to realize like, you know, how much do I need to, tr- to stress about getting like a 23rd playable or whatever? It's like you for this format specifically, it's like you don't have to stress about that a lot. Like there are playables. Almost all of the yeah. cards are playable to some degree. It's just how well do they fit in with what you're trying to do? And then from there, you're like, OK, I'm not under as much pressure to get X, Y or Z. Uh, sometimes, like I said, you know, we feel it with two drops a lot because we're trying to play like seven in a lot of instances and ideally they would be good ones, but sometimes they're not. And sometimes it's like, well, I kept taking like busted three and four mana cards over like Halo Scarabs. And now I really have to take like backup agent over just everything because my deck needs it too so badly. Uh, but yeah, once you get a handle for how much you need to stress about X, Y, and Z, it's like, well, you see like fifth pick brokers veteran for your blue black deck or, an off-color card that is, you know, better and maybe not even that great. Like in, in the case of like Fatal Grudge, it's just like, I mean, I'm not missing out on not having the Broker's Veteran, almost certainly. And maybe the Fatal Grudge itself is not good, but if I do end up shifting into red-black after spending a bunch of picks on blue-black, I'm going to need the playable, right? That was basically yep. my thought process. Yeah, and it becomes impossible to even consider that shift if you let that card go by. Yeah. That's really yeah, because at that point it's probably too that. late, you know. Yep. But then it was like next pick, like Mayhem Patrol over nothing, and then it was like I don't, like a Strangle or something, and then Unlucky Witness Table, and it's like okay, well now Nailed I just it. have yeah. ten red black playables and two blue cards that are like just okay, you're dead to me, you're in my sideboard. Yep. And then yeah, that's that's such a good feeling when you've navigated a draft in that fashion. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> One of, one of the drafts that I, I did that the best at, I think, was at uh, PT Almanket, where I was like very solidly white for the first five picks with like, you know, maybe a blue card in like pick four and pick six. And then like the blue stuff kept coming. And then I was just like, I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to be red blue. And then I just I drafted pack two like I was red blue because it was like I 
didn't pass like anything of note. Like there were red cards. It was just like the card quality in that format was also pretty bad. But I was like, I'm pretty sure this is open. Just like there, there weren't any good cards, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, I didn't pass anything downstream to get someone into red. So it's like, I think I'm going to get hooked up in pack two also. And then when pack three opened up, uh, I opened Enigma Drake and like a card that I needed for my deck. It was like, you know, two drop or like cheap removal spell or something. And I was like, this Drake is going to table hundred percent. Yeah. Like took the removal spell Drake table. And it was like easiest three of my life. Yep. Yeah. Those reads are so fantastic and they can only be born of like really deep format knowledge. Yeah, exactly. So get, get a handle on that stuff. And then, you'll be able to figure out how often or like how comfortable you are pivoting. And even, even just like watching when it's like, all right, we're, we're in blue white, but like maybe our blue is getting cut. It's like, you still end up with like 26 playables, like 26 cards. You'd be fine playing. Maybe not things that you're happy playing, like um, the speakeasy server or whatever, the five mana three, three flyer. It's like that card's fine. Like if you have, if you have no five drops, like, yeah, play one or something, but it's yeah super replaceable but like those things just live in your sideboard right and that happens so often in these drafts where it's like i'm willing to spec on things more often especially with gold stuff and people being like all right i first picked a white card i cannot take a grixis card second pick yep so you just get that stuff floating to you like sixth or whatever and it's like well okay this is open and like if i were more flexible i could have moved into this god actual draft mechanics are something that i love so much and I, i wish they mattered more because like you don't play in your pods anymore and like your goal is just like to make the best deck which is still an interesting question i don't i don't think like none of this stuff applies it all still does it's just they can double apply in those scenarios where you're playing within pods and would love to talk about that for hours but not the world we live in at least not right now maybe in the future we'll get a chance to talk about that kind of stuff for for the mox coverage I don't know if they did this all the time but it was like when they had a draft table they would usually do the draft viewer for like all eight players Yep. And that was awesome. Yeah. Whereas like, okay, you know, like these people know what is up with like their card quality. You know, they, they know the, the correct pick orders or whatever. They have a good handle on the format and this person has preferences. So it's like, it came down to a coin flip. So that's why they chose X, X, Y, Z, whatever. And then it's just like, oh, this person's in a tight spot because they were in red, but this person to their right got past like a third pick lightning bolt or something and now they're getting cut off and it's like are they going to figure it out are they going to be able to switch in time you know it's like you get to see all that information it's it's hard to like lay out to someone right but like if you could convey that after the fact like as a draft wrap-up or something like that would be awesome yeah i think you kind of need to do it in a very visual display like moving around the table showing the picks as they fire but it's it's so so hard i know like they used to do that uh the future drafts at pro tours always had Every well, not always, but there was a period where they had everyone's picks as well. And uh, going back and looking over those, the ones I participated in was always awesome. Yeah, it was just like such a detailed story uh, from really, really good players about what has gone on. And yeah, stuff that's kind of irreplaceable and doesn't really apply to the modern game. But I, I hope to see it come back. Yeah, I guess I guess the thing that is worth taking away here is that the mechanics, even though it's just like I don't know. Alliance sucks and it does all different stuff. It's like, okay, make this thing bigger, gain a life, deal you one damage or whatever. It's like, I I get that, okay, I'm supposed to put creatures into play and just profit or whatever. I wish it was a little bit more streamlined, you know? Because then then maybe you'd be able to compete with things like Kanai. Sure, sure. 
a consistent buff is better than like just a random smattering of buffs. So yeah, it's just like a creature enters play. Okay, you get a random effect. You know, it's just like, yeah. well, that's not as good. But regardless, like the mechanics and the the way the color pairs work does like bleed really well into each other. And part of that, mm-hmm. a big part of that is because it's uh, a shard set, right? So it's like, if you go from blue, black into red, black, it's like a lot of the same stuff applies, you know, you're kind of looking for a lot of the same cards and it, it means that you're able to make those transitions and not feel as badly switching from like, I don't know, red, black aggro to blue, black control in different formats where you just want wildly different things. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool how they all flow together. So, it, yeah, you get you get paid off for staying open to some degree. I know that, you know, people will look at the 17 lands data and be like, well, blue-white is so good, I'm just going to force it because even a bad broker's deck is better than everything else. And they just, they plant their flag and refuse to move or whatever. But it's, I, I don't really believe in that, especially now that, like, everyone knows that. Yeah, I think leaning directions is fine. I think committing directions is problematic. Yeah, because, yeah, you get paid off. So there's... So many times you see like seven pick strangles and like six pick nightclubbers and stuff. Like if the thing is open, like you are getting hooked up. Anyway, back to sealed, right? Michael Jacob. Don't want to put him on blast. We're going to. No, good, good friend of mine. I, I, I like Michael a lot as a person. He is a very, very, very gifted magic player, deck builder, theorist, limit player, etc. Self-proclaimed best sealed player in the world. I agree with him. Okay. Okay. Thing that he does in this format, and honestly, a lot of formats that allow him to do this. And I think like the the things that he's so good at figuring out is like how to configure like my 40 against your 40. But in in formats like this, it's just like I'm probably gonna play five colors and play all the good cards and you know, the, the mana is more or less going to work out. And he mostly operates under the premise that, that I, I don't know if this is, this is his way of thinking about it, but it's like kind of my way of thinking about it where it's like sealed sucks. And it's just like, yeah, play, play the most like five fives and you'll win the game. You know, I don't know if that's how he's thinking about it, but that's definitely how he plays the games. I I have seen that be successful many times as well. Yeah. Uh, Cause if your opponent's not like a cohesive deck and they don't have a bunch of like card drawing or synergy or anything. It's like, okay, raw power is the thing that's probably going to win. And he definitely operates on, on that axis. And I, I respect that. And I would not fault anyone for following his methodology for this, this format. But I also want to caution against it because I've opened so many two color aggro decks that are just better than draft decks also. And I, I think, I think that almost certainly like he's looking for that stuff too. Right. But he also just, you know, has, has a nature to, to be like, you know, card X, Y, and Z is unplayable. I'm never going to put it in my deck. And in a lot of the instances, those are the cards that work really well in the aggro decks, you know? So like, sure. even if he's playing aggro, he's like, I'm still cutting this for a splash or whatever. And that will carry you in some games, absolutely, where like power is relevant more than having a a dapper shield mate on turn four and like reasonable mana or something. But look at your pool, okay? See what your pool can do. There are not hard, fast rules about the format. And 
I think that more often than not, you can build a very good two-color deck with a splash. I have certainly run into situations where you either cannot do that or like the four or five color builds are just like so robust with so little downside that is correct to do that. Mm -hmm. So be very careful about that. I think, I think that you can like put yourself on rails somehow where it's like, okay, what are my two best colors? Okay. What's, what's the best splash. You can like build a seal deck pretty easily if you don't want to look at it too hard. Right. But if you really want to go deep, give yourself the best chance, the, the best option, I mean, do some practice yields, share it with your friends, uh, re- redeem some channel points on the limited streamers channels, have them take a look at your deck, you know, like they, they basically all offer that service. So I, I, I would highly recommend doing that, but I, I think that people are building their sealed decks pretty wrong in, in some ways. And it's hard to say specifically without looking at an individual pool, but it's, it's basically just like the things that you think matter might not matter where it's just like, yeah, you can load up on five mana, five fives and strangles and murders and like draw twos or whatever. But like that doesn't always work in this format. And it's, it's going to feel frustrating because like it works in every other format, right? It's like, why is this Mm -hmm. different? But it's just like, well, they play an overseer and a thing with a shield and you know, the extra card and the thing that was hard to deal with, or like the rooftop nuisance that templed you out or whatever. It's like all of these things frustrate your game plan so much where, like I said, you need, to be able to keep up with them. And if you can't, you will lose. And part of the problem with having a bunch of expensive cards in your deck is that, yes, you play your five drop on five, but on turn six, you still only have one option, right? Is play your six drop. And that doesn't give you a lot of opportunity for for navigating those games well. Now, flexibility is and will forever be king when it comes to limited magic. And that's that's the reason I love it, honestly. So uh, it's, it's good to hear there's not one correct way to play. Yeah, like I said, depends on your pool. And, uh, I had, I played some best of three and there were definitely pools where I was like, Oh God, this, this four color thing is close, but is definitely going to have problems with like X, Y, Z deck, you know? So I start the two color beatdown deck. My opponent is like Grixis control or four color control or whatever. And they have the cards that line up against my deck. It's like, all right, I have to sideboard into the more powerful deck. Right. And obviously that only matters in best of three, but I mean, also if you find that happening a lot, uh, as you're playing like the best of one events, like you can just change your deck mid round too. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Uh, wait, can you do that? Can you do that in this yeah. format? I'm, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I'm pretty sure you can in this. And, like they allowed it in the arena open, so I don't see why you wouldn't be able to. Okay, so uh, keep in mind that tip. You know, as you get to the the higher win rates, if you want to do a little pre boarding, may not be the worst idea. Like I said, one of the, one of those drafts, I was like, I I got to like three zero, played against three blue white decks was sitting at five and one. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm cutting dusk mangler because I think the people who are winning, this was kind of like at broker's height, you know, before everyone, except for the people who are like really into the, the data caught on. It's just like, if I'm at five and one, I'm probably going to be playing against blue white deck. Like, let's be real, you know? So that, that sort of thing factors into. Makes sense to me. Uh, I mean, it's a little bit different now. People, people know about it, but. I would say that the people's brokers decks are worse on average because people are fighting over them, which is, is sure. good. They're they're just eating themselves. But yeah, man, don't don't splash two drops. Maybe stick to like three colors as a splash, or play as as many colors as much power as you can in your sealed pool. I think that 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 is important. But like, do it in a way that is like play the most power that is reasonable, right? Don't don't force it if it's not going to work out. And you think like you don't have the mana, you don't have the the curve or the right answers or whatever. I will look forward to presenting you 
my uh, attempts to act on all of this information you have provided uh, and fail miserably, and you can yell at me for my my build and fix it, and then I will ultimately win, and it will be great. Hell yeah, I hope so. And I, I mean, I know that this is this is two and a half hours, right? Like this is a lot of info, uh, especially if you have not played the format much or at all. This is going to be a lot to try and digest and internalize and take yep. in and everything. If you have a foundation and you can kind of take some of this stuff to heart, great. I know, I know that's a lot though. It's a, it's a lot to just take it in one go. So like, I'm sure that you're going to like send me a thing and be like, oh, well, don't you remember like, you know, point twenty six C Article Two Section Three that I pointed out or whatever, where you should be playing this card or whatever. You're gonna be like, no, but I get it. Yeah, I, I may put you to the test and expect perfect recall on everything you presented to me, but that's okay. Well, like I said, I'm flexible. I'll figure it out, and I will. I will soon be competing at the set champ arena championships. I don't know. Not the Pro Tour, right? Competing at something. Competing at something. That's what matters. Doing commentary at the Pro Tour, though, for Flesh and Blood. Mm. That, is, that is true. That's the important that, thing. That I know I'll do it. Yep. Ugh. Longest episode? Is that possible? No, we have we have one that's like uh AMA episode. That oh, was that was like, like three, three hours? hours. Yeah, three mm-hmm. hours 30 or something like that. Ridiculous. Either this, way. This is probably in the top five, for sure. Yeah, either way, this is close. I, I hope people enjoy it. I hope that if you're playing in these events or like Sealed... Uh, or, or drafting or whatever that you listen to the entire thing. And I, I hope that it was good. I hope it had some good information. I hope y'all liked it. Like I said, I've played this a ton. I would not be able to be this in depth with this much context if I had not been playing basically like nonstop for three weeks. But also post those W's, tag us. Uh, we, I mean, there's nothing that means more to me than when someone's like, I was able to use some of your advice and it helped me out. Hell, that, hell yeah. that just means everything. Hell yeah. So if, if you had a good result, let us know. Uh, hopefully there will be many of those in the coming weeks. Same, absolutely. And I can't promise that if you do like this, that it will happen more in the future because it requires a, a lot of hours to be put into like, you know, learn this format top to bottom. I'm sure we could like do what we did with call time where it was like play for a week and like give you some decent advice, you know? But this sort of like, in-depthness i i have not felt this way about a limited format in like a decade so i don't know honestly it was pretty easy for me i, I just showed up and stole <laughs> all your knowledge so i i i'll commit to this every look, week look, Why buddy, not? we'll see how the tournaments go we'll see how you build your initial decks and i'll tell you how how much you got to absorb or like how well i presented the information even okay okay fair enough yeah man i think i think that's it i talked for 80 percent of this cast you can sign us out game Good luck.